raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. It is a Friday. March is upon us, and the yes. temperature is only 25 degrees less than what my phone two days ago said it was going to be today. <laughs> so two out of three ain't bad, right? I'll take it. I love March. Happy March to you. March I Madness love March, man. Dry around the corner. The springtime is starting. You know, it, it's that time of year where things start to tease you a little bit, right? You're, it's, you, you don't know what to wear when you leave the house in the morning because it, then it's blazing hot by the middle of the afternoon, then it's freezing again that night. But... It's, uh, it's what it's all about, right, as we work our way out of the tunnel of wintertime and head in towards the spring. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Jimmy Cook, the voice you just heard. Eddie Garrison here with us as well. It is Quarry and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We are, again, day three, last day of the week for us, as a matter of fact, at the NFL Combine. And the big news so far today would be the fact that we are here at the Combine. Marvin Harrison Jr. essentially is not, right? Does that mean our stock rises higher than his now? Is that what that means? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Um, Here's the thing, though. We all have something in common, all three of us, Jimmy, you, me, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and that is that there is nothing that we could do over the course of, like, the rest of the day for the Combine folks here to change their opinion of us, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty much set in stone. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. probably, like many players, looked at it and said, you know what, There's, you get to a point where they begin knit. Once you get to the point, this is true in any sport, once you get to the point where the only thing left for your game is to nitpick it and find reasons why it won't work, that's when you've got to jump. That's when your stock is at its highest. And that might be part of the reason for the story that I'm going to lead with today. And I am curious because we had a not a debate but a discussion, and I think I'm in the minority here. So I would like people to let me know via Twitter, via my text message, which people have, because you're right, Jimmy. Maybe you're right. I don't know, and I'm not trying to put bad words on you here, but but I believe personally that the drafting of Caitlin Clark for the Indiana Fever is one of the, at the time of their arrival, I'm going to say it is one of the 10 most anticipated professional sports prospects in Indianapolis history. Now, sure, you could make the argument Wayne Gretzky. You could make the argument, you know, like Eric Dickerson. Those guys were, in Wayne Gretzky's case, I think hockey fans knew that he was a big star or going to be a big star. But it was a different era, different climate, different culture, all of it, right? And he was here for a very brief period of time. But when the racers got Wayne Gretzky, I, I can't speak to it. Somebody that was around them would be able to speak to it. But I don't know if it had the hub-hub that this does. And if you, for some reason, did not hear it yesterday, Caitlin Clark, who has now become the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history announced that she will forego her final year of eligibility at Iowa to join the WNBA draft. The number one pick in the draft belongs to the Indiana Fever. When we had Lynn Dunn on a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Aliyah Boston, I made the reference of calling it jokingly referencing the candy Boston baked beans and said 
would you like a Clark bar to go with that? And Lynn Dunn said, I absolutely love that candy bar. There is no doubt in anybody's mind who the number one player is going to be in the draft. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that Caitlin Clark will be a member of the Indiana Fever, barring, of course, injury or some sort of a disaster. And there is no doubt, I don't think, in a lot of people's mind that a big reason why she is foregoing her last year of eligibility is because this is a franchise that is the second closest, I believe, to her home state of Iowa. And this prohibits her from going to Los Angeles or New York or a place where her massive, incredible fan base at Iowa is going to be able to follow her. Okay? So a, this is a huge economic boom for the city of Indianapolis. Right now, Caitlin Clark is probably, men or women, the most famous college basketball player in America. She has a Steph Curry factor about her that carries with it a, a magnetism and a branding that we haven't seen here. And I, and I realize the WNBA is not the NFL. It's not the NBA. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm going to predict, I'll bet you that season tickets for the Fever sell out. I honestly believe that. And that means, and I think it's only 20 home games, but that means 20 more dates downtown where you're going to have – and this is the big thing, a large percentage of those fans, Jimmy, coming from not from Fishers, not from Zionsville, but from Cedar Rapids and from Des Moines. And I think it's big for the, the motels and hotels along I-74. I'm not kidding you. I remember when we had Ralph Sampson on the show. And when Ralph Sampson was the, the presumptive can't miss absolute lock stock and barrel number one overall selection in the NBA draft in 1983 the Pacers lost the coin flip and they got Steve Stepanovich but there was such a clear divide between the two while Stepo was a nice player he wasn't Ralph Sampson two years after that the frozen envelope Patrick Ewing and that was for Pacer fans a huge letdown and disappointment to not get Patrick Ewing but they got a three-time All-American and a like 2,700 point per game score at Oklahoma and an Olympian in Wayman Tisdale. And I still remember the paper placemats at McDonald's. We got Wayman. The billboards, the little buttons that were passed out. We got Wayman. That was the first like holy cow moment for this city of we are about to embark on the journey of a superstar. And in Wayman Tisdale's case, he was a nice player. But I think they found out pretty quickly that Wayman Tisdale was a system player at Oklahoma. But there's something, there are some players, Jimmy, that just have an it factor about them where I've said from the NBA standpoint, going to Pacer games, there have only been a handful of teams that when you go in in the pregame, there's an energy in the building that you can not only feel, but you can almost see it. The Jordan's Bulls had it. The Showtime Lakers had it. Jordan's Bulls had it. The LeBron Heat teams had it. The Warriors and the Warriors had it. had it. Yep. That's really about it to be honest with you. Caitlin Clark has it. I'm telling you, like there's there's just something about a, there's just an energy level and a buzz factor that comes with it. And I realize people probably think, Jimmy, that I'm sitting here overselling it. I realize it. People probably think I'm crazy. But I think it is a huge, huge, huge story for Indianapolis that Caitlin Clark is going to be a member of the Fever. She's a joy to watch. She's unquestionably the best player to ever play college basketball unless you were 
of the ring culture debate and think that the only way she could hold a title like that is to have won a national championship. Like She's going to hold every record, men or women. She's 18 points away from passing Pete Maravich's all-time record of scoring either in the men's game or the women's game. She is a joy to watch. She plays a brand of basketball that anybody, but especially those in the Hoosier State, will love and embrace. And this is something that for me, and you and I have talked about it, Eddie and I have talked about it, I've been hoping that this would be the case for the entire drama-filled, stress-filled area of this of will she or won't she. What I am curious about, Jake, is with this Fever team, you add her with Aaliyah Boston, who in her own right is a sensational player. No question. This should be a duo that takes the WNBA by storm right away. And you're right. Iowa fans are going to travel in masses to come to Fever Games and see her in person. What I want to have happen, and I'm curious if it does happen, and I'm not trying to be a, a pessimist about it, but this is, a, this is a test cycle for the continued growth of the WNBA because we've seen it year over year over year that they are putting out a quality product and are growing it at such an accelerated rate that you are, are seeing viewership numbers up year over year. And she is the next best evolution in that. What I want to see happen in a town where from a on field, on court, on whatever standpoint, all you really have going on, while fun, family-filled events, but during the time of the fever season, is the Indy 11, IndyCar, of course, and Victory Field with the Indians. That's all that's going on in the city. But you have a major professional franchise with one of the greatest players, if not the greatest players in the college level, to ever do it coming to your franchise that's going to be very good next year. I don't want it to be just Iowa fans there. I want it to be the sense of pride amongst Hoosiers in the state and in the city the same way it would be for the Pacers. And I know it'll never reach this because the NFL is king, but the same way the city rallies around the Colts. That's what I I want this to be. Here's the thing, Jimmy. A couple of things in play here, okay? Like this from... I'm going to read you just, for example, from Andy Campbell, of, Andy Campbell of Huffington Post, so a national outlet. The impact of Kalen Clark's decision could change forever the economics of the WNBA. The Fever will be playing every game in a sold-out arena for the next several years. Indiana loves basketball. These two are going to be awesome. Like, now, she may be, and we may find out, she may be Wayman Tisdale. She might be a system player that it doesn't necessarily immediately translate in the WNBA or forever translate. I I get it. But there are two things here that I think are very, very important. The first is that the WNBA and the Fever, they won a title. They had players that girls and, and fans of basketball in Indiana could really appreciate in the fact that Stephanie White, who's an Indiana player, was here. I mean, a Purdue player, but an Indiana product. Katie Douglas, same thing played here you had obviously Tamika Catchings who is one of the greatest women's player of all time and they did play in front of big crowds and they had big moments right but to your point Jimmy which is a a valid point to your point that success that enthusiasm that excitement didn't necessarily transcend the bubble of women's basketball fans in Indianapolis or in Indiana so 
women's basketball fans in Cincinnati or Toledo or Dayton didn't like suddenly become interested in the WNBA because of what the Indiana Fever were doing. Caitlin Clark is a gateway drug to the women's basketball game potentially not for sure because she may be like I said she might be William Tisdale but she may well be Steph Curry and all of a sudden I'm telling you Indianapolis and and I get it we are conditioned to believe that women's sports are not that sort of an economic facilitator I get it and it may not be the case but if you talk to economists and you talk to sports analysts about the women's game if if not definitely, but if. If there is a player that is going to break down that wall, it is the one that is on her way to playing professionally Without a doubt. in the city of Indianapolis. Yep. And, that, and, and, you know, if you look in this town, if you did a survey of sports cities in the United States or cities in the United States and you said, pick the three athletes that had the best careers – that began with that athlete's first professional contract being from your city. Give me your best three. Chicago would have an outstanding argument because they would say, okay, we have Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, you know, right there, you're, yeah. you're doing okay, right? And then what, probably like Ernie Banks, if he had started, I, I think he started with the Cubs, or you know, whatever. The city of Indianapolis, Peyton Manning, Henry Aaron, Wayne Gretzky, pretty good right yeah it is entirely possible entirely possible that 20 years from now the fourth on that list is going to be caitlin clark i know that sounds crazy but it's entirely possible because there's an it buzz factor about her that not only is going to probably win them a lot of games and Aaliyah boston's really good yeah so you get the inside outside of that but there is just this when when we were at the iowa speedway last year for the iowa race dallas clark was there um, Kenny Chesney was there, right? Mm-hmm. Kerry Underwood was there. So we're there at the Iowa race in Newton, Iowa, for the High V Twin 200s or whatever we call it. And I was there. I was on pit road. I was there. I saw all of them. I saw Dallas Clark, who played at University of Iowa, played for the Colts, won a Super Bowl, played for the Bucs. Saw Dallas Clark walking around. I saw all of it. The biggest buzz in that venue was for Caitlin Clark. Biggest one of all. I believe it. Three million a year from Hy-Vee, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And I like the people that are like, well, she's going to lose that money. She's Darren Ravel, what a moron. And she's taking a $750,000 pay cut. What, do you think Hy-Vee is just going to back out because she's no longer playing for the, for the University of Iowa? It's crazy, right? Crazy. Uh, Pacers in action tonight taking on the Pelicans. Uh, they left yesterday from that game where they had beaten the Pelicans the night before. Kind of a good test for them. You wouldn't think so, Jimmy, because they took care of business here against the Pelicans. But now going down there, a little bit different on the road. And and here's the bugaboo for the Pacers all year. You got to you got to maintain it, right? You got to sustain it. Some people, when they look at the NBA schedule and they see play let's just say the Knicks on Tuesday and then you have a day off and then you go to New York to play the Knicks. You're like, oh, why are they having everybody play so close together on the schedule? I like it, Jake, because not only is it a test, even though playoff wise, this isn't how things would simulate out because you'd have to be in the finals to play the Pelicans, but you get that little mini aspect of 
playoff basketball because you've played and got a win at home. Now you have a day off, and now it's like that road trip for game three, right? That, that's exactly what you get to be a part of now with real-time adjustments, even though it's in the regular season, and it is another test to how you handle that. You just want to find consistency, yes. right? Yep. By the way, somebody said, Jake, how can you not include Reggie Miller? I totally agree, but the difference between Reggie Miller and the other three I mentioned, Wayne Gretzky, Peyton Manning, and Hank Aaron, there would be almost no one who would consider Peyton Manning, Red, uh, Hank Aaron, or Wayne Gretzky outside of the top five greatest players of their sport. I all, think, all three of them are inside the top five. I think people that forget, people that say, why is Reggie not on that top three, forget the fact that Hank Aaron and Wayne Gretzky started here. Well, I think it, that happens. Right, well, what I'm saying is, like, how can you not include them? Like, How can you not put them in the, Reggie in the same category? And the answer is because while he was a fabulous player sure. and a fabulous player for the, totality the city of, of Indianapolis, yeah, yeah. nationally speaking, Reggie Miller is not considered – universally as one of the top five or ten players in NBA history. Those other three all are within the respective sport. I don't know that Caitlin Clark is going to be a top five or ten women's player of all time when it's all said and done. We don't know that yet. We don't know that. You know, that, that we have seen women's players that were fabulous college players and didn't transcend. But in terms of the buzz about her, a guy that we are familiar with at this radio station, you folks have been familiar with because he has been on this time slot, as a matter of fact, on this program many times. Our friend Scott Long joins us, who is an Iowa native who has daughters who have watched Caitlin Clark. He has seen Caitlin Clark play in Carver Hawkeye Arena, but can kind of speak to just the buzz about her. He joins us on the show. Scott, how are you, man? I'm great. I'm mixed uh, feelings because uh, I went to University of Iowa and I root for them first. So there's a mixture there. A little background. I grew up in Des Moines, went to University of Iowa. Same with Caitlin. That's where uh, our uh, our coincidence is. We have nothing else in common besides that. But what I would <laughs> share with you is is that she was a prodigy she wasn't an overnight sensation in the last year and a half in Iowa. People had been talking about her since she was like in seventh or eighth grade in Iowa. So she's the Damon Bailey of Iowa, the Stephanie White really? of Iowa. Damon Bailey. That's a, that's a better one. Um, that's great, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but she is the Damon Bailey. And um, – she almost signed with Notre Dame. People don't know that little background, but she pretty much thought they, they thought she was going to go to Notre Dame. And then when it came to signing day, she decided she was going to go to Iowa. Um, she's not just State Farm ad that you see, you know, in national things. For the last two years, the Hy-Vee grocery chain, which is, you know, the Kroger of Iowa has had three people that promote them. Patrick Mahomes, Jason, or, uh, uh, um, Travis Kelsey, and Caitlin Clark, because they're based in Iowa and Kansas City area. So that'll give you an idea of, like, her reach um, has been this way for four years in Iowa. It's just kind of happened more so ever since last March Madness and beating South Carolina. So, Scott, to me, what I was just saying is that it is not often that you have a player, and I get it. Scott, let's be real here, okay? Scott Long, our guest, let's be real. 
90% of the people listening to my voice right now are probably saying to themselves, I can't believe I'm turning on a radio station in Indianapolis on NFL Combine Week, and they're talking about a college female college basketball player. Right. Like, there is an it factor about her that, to me, can economically bolster downtown Indianapolis. And in addition to that, have an economic impact not just on the interest level in the city of Indianapolis that she's going to bring, but the people from out of town that are going to have to stay here to see her play because I am convinced that at least for the first year, and yes, you have to sustain it, but at least for the first year that like on a regular basis there are going to be 5,000 Iowans at minimum at home games for the Indiana Fever. But you're a native of Iowa and you know people there. What say you? Uh, that's not an exaggeration at all. I mean, if uh, if they really want to make the people welcome, they'll open up a Casey's General store right next to the thing and sell slices of pizza because that's like an Iowa tradition. Um, it's going to be that way totally. And there's another big difference. Uh, my friend Scott Docterman in The Athletic, he wrote a piece about it today. There's a... <sighs> You know, there, there's, as you said, there's no interest in women's basketball or really even girls' basketball in the state. It's always been a boys' or a college basketball state. And in Iowa, though, girls' basketball has sold out the state championship for like 40 years. They used to play six-on-six basketball, which would take a whole show to try to explain that one. But there's a real history of women's basketball. So right when she got there, they were already selling eight, 9,000, 10,000 seats before she even got there. Uh, people don't probably know this that don't follow women's basketball, which is pretty much everybody on a sports radio talk show. But they had the player of the year two years before she came there, Megan Gustafson, who is like a, a bench player in the WNBA. So the history of women's basketball in Iowa is enormous, and those people are fanatical. And if you had gone to the Big Ten Women's Championships uh, the last tournament, the last three years, you would have saw at least half the fans there were Iowa fans. It's only been recent that all these other places are gaining uh, fans. And, you know, that's the Tiger Woods messy effect. That's how I refer to her as because she does things different than other people. She's, you know, she's kind of like Bird, Larry Bird, where she sees her passing is so amazing that a lot of the men's basketball coach, I heard Jim Beheim say, uh, just two days ago that she's the most exciting player he's seen play since Jordan. That's a men's basketball coach of basically 45 years. So she does bring something different that you just don't get anywhere else. Scott, we've seen the crowds at Iowa games, it being one of the toughest tickets to get anywhere, let alone just in college basketball right now. But we've seen what she has done for the Iowa fan base, and I'm not worried about Iowa fans going in droves to get tickets for fever games. And I know that they will come out and support the masses of Iowa to come out here and support Caitlin Clark and the fever. Do you feel like the city of Indianapolis and the state as a whole 
is ready to embrace her the same way so that she does have that uh, upper echelon capability where it's not just Iowa fans that are buying season tickets, it's Hoosiers that are embracing her in that same way. I think the first year that will be the case. It's such a unique thing. You know, it's, it's really never happened before, and that's because of NIL that you have, you know, her commercials are all over the place. There's not a college basketball player that's appearing in a national ad that is a men's college basketball player. She's the only one. That's been that way for two years now. So, yes, um, she's a celebrity. For young girls, she's Taylor Swift of sports. It's a different thing. But then you see young boys wearing her jersey. Jake, have you ever seen that in your life? I haven't. Oh, I know. I mean, I'm telling you, like, uh, listen, Scott, I'm convinced. And and I'm I'm willing to go on a limb here, okay? And, I I mean, whoever would have thought on the Friday of NFL Combine Week that I'd be leading the show with this, but I'm telling you, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that Caitlin Clark will be a massive economic impact to the city of Indianapolis as a member of the Indiana Fever, and that hurt. And again, you got you, she may be Wayman Tisdale. You got you got to play games. I get it, but in the early prognostication, all signs indicate towards her being a transcendent player. That in fact is the one that the WNBA in general has been waiting for for a long time. And her, her coming to Indianapolis is as big within its world and perhaps more trans, perhaps transcendently the same as I know it sounds crazy. Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning coming to the Indianapolis Colts and, you know, Reggie Miller's eventual evolve with the Indiana Pacers. I know it sounds crazy, Scott, but I knew you'd have my back on it because you're an Iowa guy. And instead of Casey's, it should be made rights. They should put made rights inside the Andrews Fieldhouse. <laughs> right? I don't even think the Iowa people are eating those anymore. But uh, oh, come I on, would just the best, follow man. up on that and just briefly mention that I think only Peyton Manning is the only person that our – that's a national brand that's ever been in Indianapolis as an athlete. And it's an interesting also thing that I don't know if you guys have discussed. Who's our star basketball player on the Pacers? He played at Iowa State. It's crazy, it's I know. It's a very got- weird deal. It's that Iowa, Iowa State, uh, you know, how is it that, that, you know, and I think if you haven't ever been to Des Moines, I always say, Indianapolis is just a really big Des Moines. I tell that to Des Moines people. So it's a really good landing spot for her. Now, can Aaliyah Boston deal with it? I'm not sure because when I watch her on the Peacock channel discussing Caitlin Clark games, she's got that bitter beer face a lot of the time. Like, oh my gosh, I was the player of the year last year. Why do I have to spend this time of idolatry? When she's not getting doubled anymore, Scott, she'll love it, right? Well, she's an amazing passer, so, I mean, Boston could lead the league in scoring, I would think, next this, this season. Scott Long joining us on the program. Scott, we appreciate it. We'll see if there's many Hawkeyes or Cyclones here at the NFL Combine because we're going to shift focus to that conversation a little bit as well. But appreciate the perspective today, man. Have a good weekend. Good talk to you guys. All right, Scott Long joining us on the program. By the way, I've got to read this text. Nah, you know what? I'm not going to. Somebody somebody told me that Caitlin Clark, they don't care because there's too much politics in the WNBA, and I'm like, <laughs> you need to hit refresh on the, the talking points. You know what I mean? Valid, valid points from 2021. 
but it's 2024, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll get into the combine. We'll talk about that and Pacers talk as well as you're listening here on a Friday. It's kind of scarce in here. I feel like I'm talking too loud. The guys from Tennessee, are they are they upset with me? Uh, those aren't the guys from Tennessee. Those are, I think, fake people that stole the table. Really? I don't know. I don't see any Tennessee. Titans gear. Tennessee, Tennessee le- listen, Tennessee left, Minnesota left, Jacksonville left, Seattle left. I mean, Minnesota think, was here a day, Did right? Seattle leave? Can we – did Seattle leave any merchandise behind? I mean – There's a guy over here It looks like he might be stealing a pair of Seattle's shorts. There's a pair of shorts just sitting on the Seattle table, and the guy's looking at it to see if they belong to him. If they've got the Seahawk on it, I might go over and check it out. You want to investigate during the break? Yeah, I'm going to okay, do that. Right. I'll let you know when we come back. Please How's do. that? Yeah. It's Quarry Company. Happy Friday to you. Happy start of March. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Heck yeah. Am I the only one that gets like a little bit depressed when this airs at the end of the tournament? No, you're not. Because March Madness is a beautiful thing and it only plays at the end of the tournament. Thereby meaning you have to wait a whole nother year. It's like this melancholic, like I, when, I he, when I see it, it makes me think of like the, the NCAA tournament is such a unique thing to me because, and, and they're, the Indy 500 would be the only other thing that, that makes me feel this way. Maybe I'm alone. I know that I'm weird. I get it. But the Indy 500 and March Madness are the only two events that the the joy. That guy looks just like Derek Schultz walking around in the New York Giants gear. You see that? A little more built. The well, who isn't? The 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 joy of the opening two days of the tournament and the Indy 500. For example, Jimmy, when you're watching the Super Bowl, what are you thinking about? You sit down and watch the Super Bowl. What, what, what's on your mind? How could they make the 49ers favorites in this game? Okay. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no, for, no. For a, I, mean, I was being funny. From a neutral Super Bowl, it's okay. I feel like I've been watching pregame coverage for like an hour and a half. Can okay. we finally kick this thing off? When you watch the NBA Finals, what are you thinking about? <sighs> Matchups, the spectacle of it. When you watch the Masters, what are you thinking about? Amen Corner. Okay. Pimento cheese sandwiches. The, Tigers the red. NCAA tournament opening day, the, the first two days of the NCAA tournament, and the Indianapolis 500 are the two sporting events more than any other. I'm not going to say isolated to, but more than any other. Those two spectacles, a large percentage of their lore is that it automatically reminds you of those of the past that you watched. You watch the NCAA tournament opening day because you're reminded of Bryce Drew's shot. Yeah. Because you're reminded of Northern Iowa knocking off Kansas. Because you're reminded of Mouse McFadden stunning Indiana. And they show you and you relive all of those with the music. And it's all about like the magic of like and all of a sudden you are going back to and chasing the thrill of what you watched years ago. You don't get that with the NBA Finals. You don't get that even with the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, you're focused on the commercials of this year, the matches of this year. Yeah. Like, nobody's sitting down at the Super Bowl like, man, I'll never forget Marcus Allen's run. You know what I mean? 
in the Indy 500, it's the same way because everybody plays the Delta Force team and talks about AJ and Mario and whatever else. And so well, when you get you get back home again in Indiana, and there, there's so correct. many aspects like of it that just turn. correct. It's nostalgic, yes. right? Yeah. And so for March Madness, when one shining moment plays, to me it's melancholic because not only is it the end of the tournament, but it also just reminds me of seeing those memories of so many years gone by, and it reminds me, like I told you, those the big thing on Facebook now. Or, or Instagram or whatever, you, you know, whatever you, TikTok, any of them. I like how you made yourself younger as that went on. The big thing, well, the big thing with that, because this is going to make me old, what I'm about to say, right. you see a lot of the postings, that they're usually like 45 seconds. So, you, you know, TikTok is, is a big one with it where it just says like school in 1988. I've referenced this before. And it's always like just a video of some kid with his camcorder going around hit the hallways of his high school and, you know, from the 80s. And, and, Literally, last night, Shannon and I were at dinner, and somebody posted one from 1988, and we're looking at it. We're looking at the hairstyles and the, and the clothing and the music that was playing. And both of and I was reading all the comments. And all the comments from people, a vast majority of them were like, that was such – and everybody thinks this of their high school days, right? But they're like, that was such a, a euphoric time that it makes me sad to see it. It makes you happy, but it makes you sad to see it because you realize that is your epiphany is to, to – to, a grasp that's no longer there anymore for you. And I think the tournament does that too a little bit. But but that's why I love the month of March to me, though, is just awesome because you finally have gotten out of the doldrums of winter, right? And here we are. And it's supposed to be – did you see it like Monday? It's going to be like 70 degrees. Yes. That is great. It's going to be I 70 I thought it was degrees. supposed to be 70 today, though. It's supposed to be, though, later in the week next week, like – I think 45 or 50, which is great for the cough that I've been fighting off for the last couple of weeks. All the same, though, if you love March Madness – if you're a fan of the single elimination aspect, the do or die, the crazy plays, Gordon Hayward being a shoelace away from national title, Bryce Drew, I, I, any of those moments, he's smart. Watch conference championship week. We're about two weeks away from that. Go watch, even if you only watch the championship games, go watch the Ivy League final. Go, go, go watch some A-10 basketball. Go watch some Metro Atlantic play. Like, go fully embrace this month. That's what I've tried to do the last couple of years, and maybe this is where we get into my weirdness territory. But I love small conference tournament games. I love all conference tournament games, but it becomes the appetizer to the single elimination aspect of one of the greatest sporting events that the world has ever created. How much pressure is there right now on Purdue? Present day, they're fine. Once the tournament starts, it gets locked up to immense levels because – Look, when we talk to college basketball analysts, people that have played, people that have coached, they rightfully say that you cannot solely base whether a program is successful on what they do in the NCAA tournament. And I agree with that because, for example, if Purdue loses, let's say, in the round of 32 this year, let's say their 8-9 matchup is a scrappy Seton Hall team that winds up bouncing them, just for the sake of argument. You're not having conversations about Matt Painter's job security. He is one of the most stable programs in all of college basketball. Year after year. Jake, they've been the number one seed in, a number one seed in the tournament three years running. Like, barring something insane, they're going to be a number one seed for a third year in a row. So you can have a Which separate crazy, conversation. Right? It's insane. You can have a separate conversation about Matt Painter, regardless of what happens this year, in my mind, one of the safest jobs in America, one of the best coaches in America. That said... 
there is a feeling of, and I know they've experienced the, this rhetoric to some extent with Jay Nivey, with Carson Edwards, with Robbie Hummel, where it feels like, oh, if they're not going to do it with this team, they're not going to do it. It's different this time around because you have, outside of the big dog, probably the greatest player to ever go through Mackey. And you have him at the height of his powers as a college athlete. And you have great guard play. And you have the right guys for, like, not just minutes eaters, but contributors off the bench. They are a perfect team. And when they don't turn the basketball over and they're hitting from three and Zach Eadie's just being the Frankenstein monster that he is down low, (laughs) they're near unbeatable. That's why the pressure for me is so high because anything less than a Final Four this year would feel like just a massive missed opportunity. What percent of people, when they see the monster, think its name is Frankenstein? I think more than you'd be proud of. 80%, yes. right? Yeah. Um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think the biggest challenge for Purdue, psychologically and in all areas, is going to be their second round game. Because at the very minimum, they need to get to the second weekend of the tournament, and they know that. Yeah. The, the odds of them losing to a 16 again are astronomically low but that second round matchup is entirely possible in that 9-8 game that they're going to be playing a double digit loss major power five conference team that has length and athleticism across the board and can give them some fits on the wing itself that's going to be the challenge yeah, I agree for them with that's going to be the challenge for them all right we'll go back to talking about the nfl combine charles mcdonald friend of ours from yahoo sports is going to join us he just walked up he just sat down he's got what looks like a bumblebee or a yellow jacket uh it's the queen bee he's got it on his hat but he's the king and he's going to join us next raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm going to play this song every time a University of Michigan prospect comes up to the podium. Because <laughs> this is Michigan's big song at the big house. Uh, Charles McDonald, by the way, joins us now, is not a native of Michigan, but rather a native of essentially the entire Southeast. Yes. (laughs) Went to college in Pennsylvania, lives in New York, writes for Yahoo, and is here till Sunday. So, Charles McDonald, I will ask you the first softball question, which is, in your opinion, the storyline of the 2024 NFL Combine is? Wow. That's a great question. Uh, I think the story is kind of guys not wanting to do this as much as they used to in the past because i think you know i i've been someone me and my friends as we've come up through this business one of the big things that we've always been fascinated by is uh kind of like combine data and figuring out for what positions trying to figure out what drills translate onto the field the most uh that was much easier about five years ago maybe than it is now because now if you start looking through combine data and seeing you know what drills guys are doing the agility drills are not really being done uh all that much anymore by prospects overall so i don't know if that's just like the commercialization of the draft and trying to put in the primetime slots where people just kind of overtraining to just to get the 40 right and not focused on too much else but uh, i think it's interesting how 
this uh, event has seemingly become less important to the people actually going through it. Um, and I want to see like how we can track that moving forward. Obviously, you know, it's important to come here and get your medicals and get your interviews done. And that's the most important thing probably for them. But I still like the on-field portion of it. And it's, it's, a, it's a little, you know, disappointing that we aren't getting that to the full experience. Are we anymore. starting to see that? And, and I'm going to say this, try to say this in as much a non-cynical way as possible. Right. But we are we starting to learn, Charles McDonald, that some of the things that we were preached upon for years as being so critical of the combine actually are were that was all BS. Uh, in what sense? We, the combine's the place where you that, that's where players are made, and and the the shuttle drills, and the 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 broad jump, and the the standing. You know how fast a lineman can run the forty in a diagonal right. fashion in case an alligator's chasing him, and those are critical things you can learn. Right. And now all of a sudden, that, now that we can see all of that, and people realize there's not much to it, then all of a sudden everybody's saying, well, you know, it's actually more the individual workout. Yeah, more the individual workouts, and really where guys, I guess, where they feel comfortable working out. Uh, excuse me. I, I guess you're going uh, to – one of the frustrating things is you're not going to get, like, a standardization of time, right? Because someone from their pro day – yeah, Caleb Williams at USC, maybe he'll get time different there than he would here, and that's, you know, not the end-all, be-all. But uh, I think you're, you're starting to learn that maybe the actual times for these results aren't as important as they used to be. Um, and I just wonder, you know, if we're going to get to a point like, is this – event as a whole like kind of obsolete from a media perspective uh shoot we even have marvin harrison today just not show up to his podium session <laughs> and you know what now the, dumb question mm -hmm. marvin harrison jr is yeah. or is not here no i know he, i know he didn't speak but is he in indianapolis he's not working out either right i don't think he's here anymore but he did get measured and weigh in okay so he was here at some point but the the the, the truth of the matter is is that doesn't matter for him. Like, for him not running here, for him not uh, doing his podium interview, we've all seen him play, yeah. right? We know his pedigree. So I think we're almost coming back to a point where you can kind of block out some of the extra noise and just focus on the field. Like, what do these guys do best? Because you're not going to have as much information on them maybe as you did in the past or a few years ago. So uh, film is king again. Would, would Marvin Harrison Jr. – and listen, I know – I mean, I've seen him – to me, he's a Heisman winner. I mean, I right. was like, this guy was. But does Marvin Harrison Jr. get the same predetermined expectation of what he's going to be if his name is Marvin McDonald? I don't think so. I don't think so. But would he still be a top five prospect? Yeah, I think so. But like this expectation that right. he's going to come in and be the number one because guy. you think of him at ohio state and then in the exact same thought you think of his dad juggling a pass against the patriots in the corner of the end zone right right and you're like right. oh wow and Here it's, we go. it's just like oh wait is he his, is he his dad but bigger i don't know but uh <laughs> which is fascinating because I, I think when you watch him play he's got all the skills and also bro if i went from cj stroud to kyle mccord and i put up the same exact stat line and i'm not running indianapolis either <laughs> yeah. i'm certified you know <laughs> right. i did it with the number two pick in a udfa what do you need what else do you need to see for players that are more the round three four or five guys and we still see high level contributors in that range just because you're not a top pick doesn't mean you can't have a highly successful career in the nfl what helps them elevate their stock more still this event or their pro days um I think this event, because this is the first time you get to start to meet with people, right? So for them, it's important. Uh, I, I, I still think for, like, the round two 
and on guys. It's probably important to, um, excuse me, to come here and do this uh, workout because all you can do is you, you can hurt yourself for sure, but you can also make a ton of money. Yep. Like if you if you come in and kill it. I mean, how many people uh, after yesterday are maybe readjusting the pains they had on Chop Robinson or uh, you know another guy from Penn State like Curtis Jacobs who. Maybe you didn't know who he was before, but he's the only linebacker here over 240 pounds. He ran a four or five. So now you're going to go back and you're going to check it out and maybe see if you can find something. So uh, I still think there's a lot of value for guys who who aren't going to be in that top tier. But I do think it's interesting. Like guys, a lot of guys are opting out the three cone, the short shuttle. I think we still have like a lot of broad jumps and verticals. But uh, for, as far as like the running pro- part goes, it seems like they just want to run a 40, get tested talk to the teams and, and be out um and yeah it, it's kind of hard to say how much it matters because i don't think it's had an impact on, like the nfl product or really the draft the draft is still just as random as ever so uh, maybe maybe uh this is a a, a change in the guard in how in terms of how we look at the combine how useful it is chris ballard calls you on the phone charles mcdonald yahoo sports our guest chris ballard calls you on the phone mm-hmm Charles, hey, you know, it's Chris Ballard in India. I can't even do a Ballard impersonation, but I'm sitting with my arms folded like, yeah. I'm, like I'm in charge of the room. and I've got a hat. I got a flat brim hat on, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and he says, look, we're on the clock. You know, we're, we're at 15. And then he, he bats his eyes and he gives a southern drawl and he tries to, to rope you in. And then he says, Charles, you, you know this draft. The position right now that we are in need in Indianapolis that has the most depth so there's going to be a great player at the front, but also one that maybe I can get into or wherever else. What do I do? You say what? I take as many cornerbacks as you can, probably, right? That's where I would go for Indianapolis because uh, it's not just that, to me, that's a spot of need that they probably could use another high-level guy at. One, because you can never have enough corners. Two, you got C.J. Stroud in your division. Trevor Lawrence is in your division. Three, uh, we don't know yet, know yet whether or not they have a p- consistent pass rush. Right. Also, th- also that as well. Um, and this year, I think it's a great year to kind of double up. This, the the guys at the top are really strong. Uh, you know, Alabama has a duo uh, with Kool-Aid McKendry and Terrion Arnold. Uh, Iowa cornerback Cooper DeJean is going to be in that mix. Toledo even has a guy in Quinion Mitchell. I like to say Kool-Aid's in the mix. It works out perfectly. That is that? a good yeah. one. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's Thank why you're the radio professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but uh, okay, so to that point, though, with corners, it's an interesting point for the Colts. Um, there are good ones that are going to be there at 15, but I guess the question is, Charles, do they need to make a rush on corner because – the quality of it drops down by the time they're back on the clock again. Well, I I would say yes because I think that that's one of those positions where you can never have enough premium talent. I mean, playing cornerback in the NFL is extremely difficult. So I think the more players you can add at the top of the draft who are you know maybe a little bit more proficient and uh, athletic and come with that pedigree, it can't hurt. And then you double up on the back end. Uh, yeah, I would say that this is this is a, if you if you're looking for like a top end cornerback, I think that this is a good class to at least roll the dice. You know, there aren't any Jalen Ramsey level prospects that are going to go top five, but uh, maybe with some guys who run this weekend, if they hit go forty times, you know, that stuff kind of gets double counted sometimes. You know, someone's fast yeah. already, but they run a four three. You're like, oh wow, I didn't know he was fast. <laughs> uh, so maybe that can get them up into like the top ten area. But I think if you're looking at fifteen, 
that's a sweet spot to roll the dice and see if you can find someone who's going to be a, a, cor- a cornerback one for you because uh, there's a lot of talented guys that can fill that mold. What should the Colts be most focused on this offseason? Charles McDonald is our guest from Yahoo Sports. What should the Colts be most focused on this offseason? Supplying Anthony Richardson with weapons or figuring out how to get prospects to slow down C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and to some lesser extent, Will Levis? See, it's, it's, that, this is – I've – thought about this for the Colts too because at, at, at some level like Anthony Richardson he has like the Cam Newton gene where I can I can run this show by myself sure. if I have to um, but that's not how you want to play because we saw how quickly you know how quickly Cam Newton deteriorated throughout his career and he was you know at his peak he was arguably you know one of the top five quarter quarterbacks in the NFL MVP winner uh, so you know I, I do think that there's a lot of merit to the idea that we could take some load off of Anthony because his own style of play is going to lend itself to he's going to be carrying a huge load of this offense. So uh, depending on what happens with Michael Pittman, maybe wide receiver could be in play. Uh, even without that, you know, you, you could still always go for offensive line depth, running back depth, uh, running back insurance just in case, you know, the Jonathan Taylor contract doesn't work out in the way that you would hope. So uh, I don't think it's necessary for them to necessarily spend like a number one pick or a first round pick on an offensive guy. But, you know, in that top 100 area where you can still find a lot of value and obviously free agency can supplement this too, uh, that's probably where you're going to look for more like Anthony Richardson help in that regard. You went to Gettysburg College, right? Yes, that's Gettysburg right. Gettysburg PA, is that right? That's right. Is that kind of cool for four years to say you had a Gettysburg address? <laughs> but see? No, but it's okay. Uh, here's what I do, right? That's what I do. The first day of the, the very first day when you get there, though, uh, well, not we were football players. We were there before, but when all the other students get there, they take the freshman class out to where he uh, did the Gettysburg address or whatever, and uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of not cool. You know. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool, right? The, no, the coolest part is... You know, automatically, by the way, what? every game for Gettysburg, you play football Gettysburg College, yeah. right? 28 yeah. points every time, right? You know why? Right. Four scores. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wish you scored 28 points every game. Thank you, Ernest. <laughs> Thank you, um, Did you like it there? I, I liked it good enough, yeah. But honestly, I thought the coolest part was if you go out into the battlefield, you can still find cannons out there, like... I mean, it's pretty cool, right? That's pretty wild. That's pretty cool. Maybe or maybe not snuck some Like stuff. small cannonballs <laughs> and stuff. Honestly, like, I mean, there's stuff no, out there, right? Like cannons. Full size? Yeah, not no balls. You, you obviously can't take them home, right? No. I mean, they're like, you can't even move them. Like, they're heavy. Really? And they're also, like, rusted and, like, broken. But I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, we still may or may not have, like, sat on them and taken shots or lined up <laughs> shots. <while I'm>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? That's kind of cool, right? Oh, yeah. Hey, um, in terms of the Colts and Anthony Richardson, Charles McDonald, do you believe this is the burning question? And I've asked about everybody this week, and the answers are kind of all over the place. Have you seen enough from Anthony Richardson to be able to say, yeah, let's go? Um, yeah, I think so. Because even with the I, – I, I don't think that his – you know, however many games he played, it wasn't perfect. But the floor is so high. It's, it's much higher than I think people give him credit for because – you know, rushing production is, is still production. And even on, you know, some of the dropbacks that he had, you can just see, like, the high-end arm talent. What I about think, the accuracy? Accuracy is probably a little bit of a work in process, but uh, progress. But I do think when you look at his process as uh, a passer going through his reads, I think he's still kind of underrated in that regard. But if you look at Josh Allen, like when Josh Allen was at Wyoming as a junior and everybody's like, man, you know, 
from his junior to senior year, his, his numbers dipped significantly. And then people realized, well, a lot of that was who he was throwing to because his receiving core all left after his junior year. Mm-hmm. Did Richardson have that at Florida? Was it an oh, accuracy man. issue or was it lack of target issue? Uh, I think for Richardson it was, it was more the wide receivers than it was him. Right. Because, okay, because, you know, I've, I've been studying the draft and – uh, Ricky Pearsall, the Florida wide receiver, is here. And he's, like, a good prospect. But I was like, where was this when Anthony was there? You know, like, you were a big worker process at progress, and now you're, you know, a legit draft prospect. So I, I think with Anthony, a lot of it was the guys at Florida were not all that great. And, you know, they were introducing a new coach, and his scheme hadn't quite off the ground yet. Does he too. show, does Richardson, in your opinion, the proper – and I'm going to use buzzwords here, but the progression, the ability to, to drop back and analyze different options to throw the ball, process it fast enough, make the right decision. You know, that holds so many guys back. Right. Has Richardson shown in the professional level yet an ability to do that at the level that it's necessary? I think he can do it. I, I, think, he, I think he has done it. The problem is, like, you know, he, he's, it'll, he'll go through the progressions on time, find the right read, and maybe the, the pass will be a little off. You know, so I think the accuracy down to down is what he needs to, to work on. He's Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. Charles McDonald. Char- you know what happened? Someone I was did that lo- to me no, today. no, no, no. I was looking at your Twitter feed, and you've quote tweeted three Charles Robinson. He's talking about the splits. That's yeah. my fault. That's that was my, a Freudian slip. Yeah. Charles McDonald of Yahoo Sports. Nice now to take some time with us. Sorry about that. All good. Thanks. Appreciate you, know, you making you know, time you, for us. You said LeBron's your favorite player. You kind of have the same beard. Have you? Know, is that by design? No, just by chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd rather have his height and athleticism. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Gettysburg College agrees, right? That's right. They well, they like wouldn't know too. me if I did. <laughs> that, that's true. That's a good point. Charles, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Charles. Thanks. Uh, we'll be back, by the way. Kevin Moe going to join us. Lara Overton going to join us in the 2 o'clock hour, as well as Mike Tynabob. So still, full show ahead of you here on this Friday from the NFL Combine. You're listening to Corey Company, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. March is here, baby. Woo! Now, here's the question of the, of the, like of the leap year here. I guess this happens every six years, seven years, whatever. But Kevin Bowen would be a good person to ask because, you know, he's a cathedral grad, right? So St. Patrick's Day, so I've asked this before, but now that, that we're closing in on it, I, here's what I want to know. Every year, Shannon and I on St. Patrick's Day go before dinner, or maybe probably after dinner actually, and we go and have a beer at the same bar every year. We go to customers every year because it's St. Patrick's Day, right? It's always fun. I see the same group of people. So this year, St. Patrick's Day is on a Sunday. Now, that's not to say you can't still go, but like it has a little different oomph to it because it's a Sunday. D- does does St. Patrick's Day get celebrated by people on Sunday, or do you do it on Saturday? And I mean, yes, you know, you, you do a little. On, you wear green on Sunday, but in terms of the overall like celebration of it all, which which night do you do it? Which one is the bigger day? 
Jimmy, your thoughts? I, I didn't know if you were uh, tagging Kevin in or not. Um, to start off the bat, you do it on. You asked me if I do it on Saturday. You, would you do it on Saturday or Sunday? Saturday, because I have a day to recover. Okay. Do we have Kevin? Thank you, Eddie. So, Kevin Bowen joins us now. Very smooth transition there. What a bit of a delay, it appears. Uh, Kevin, your thoughts, Saturday or Sunday, that you would do like the traditional St. Patrick's Day beer at Connors? Well, yeah, I would say um, the Irish Catholics are probably starting on Friday and continuing on Saturday and wrapping up on Sunday. That would be my guess. I don't think they're going to be. answer. So yeah. which is the which is the designated actual day? Is it which one is it though? Uh, I, I what is March seventeenth a Sunday this year? I would yes. assume that is your official holiday. That's also Selection Sunday. So um, I I guess in a in a way you've got another holiday there. But yeah, I, I'd assume you know a lot of uh, establishments will probably bump up any sort of activities or festivities they usually. Leave for St. Patrick's Day, maybe to Saturday, but um, you know, Connors, the Golden Ace, other staples will, uh, I, I, I would guess, have a large crowd on Sunday. You know, the um, selection Sunday being on St. Patrick's Day, Kevin, we're, we're a week, we're a week off, right? Like, isn't it usually? Isn't select? Isn't isn't St. Patrick's Day usually the first weekend of the tournament? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we are. Maybe not a full week, but certainly a couple days. I mean, I remember a few years ago, Notre Dame was in the Dayton games, the playing games, and they won, and it was at midnight, and it was St. Patrick's Day midnight, and Mike Bray you know, talked about having Jameson on the flight. They were heading to San Diego after that for their you know, round of 64 game after that. So, yeah, I, I do feel like March 17th is typically you know on that first weekend. So I do think with how the calendar's fallen this year, it's a little bit of a later start. Uh, to March Madness. Okay, let's begin with this. Kevin Bowen, our guest, and I want to get your thoughts on Caitlin Clark coming up in just a couple of minutes, Kevin, because we talked about that this mo- or, you know, today, and I, I think you guys did this morning as well. But uh, when you talked to Chris Ballard, you guys had him on. You were able to interview him. You asked him about some of the, you know, why it hasn't taken off just yet in his, I say just yet, it's been a while now in his era here. But what were your overall takeaways of your conversation with Chris Ballard? Yeah, I thought you know, maybe a hair shorter, more reserved than than usual. I think when you when you listen to thirty two GMs talk, I think Fowler typically is a little bit more candid than most of them. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I was overreading it. Um, you know, part of me does think just the inevitable of this is year eight and the resume is the resume. I mean, he, he's got to feel some of that, and I actually think there's more of a hot seat there than than maybe most think entering this season, um, just, again, given the lack of a resume through the first seven years. Uh, certainly his expansion on some a- a- answers. I understand why he might have been a little bit more reserved with some others there. Um, I thought his answer on, you know, again, wh- why hasn't this era gone according to plan from a success standpoint, I thought it was a big 180 from, you know, those, those comments at his opening press conference, if you want to go way back to – you know, January 2017, when, you know, he emphasized several times in that day, it's not about one player. Um, it, it, in a way, you could certainly take the message that he said yesterday, and, and if you want to paraphrase it, um, the fact that quarterback has not worked out and he has missed at that position or hasn't been able to, I guess, figure it out would probably be the better way to put it. Uh, that, to me, is, you know, largely about one player. 
Um, so that is kind of a 180 on, you know, again, his, his original stance with that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought all in all, just kind of a mixed bag uh, from him yesterday. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. weekdays on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Kevin, you brought up an interesting aspect of Chris Ballard's future, which is my most curious point every offseason in this era of Ballard is what's the real pressure for him? Is there a level of warmth on the seat or not? And you alluded to it a little bit there that maybe there is some going into this season is that tied to, in your mind, them making the playoffs, them winning the South, Anthony Richardson taking a step forward? Like, what, what is the check box for him this season where it is a good, successful, job-based season for Chris Boward when we look back on it around this time next year? Yeah, I think it probably should be making the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's like a um – you know, end all be all. It's a disastrous season if you don't make it. Um, but if you're evaluating him, um, I do think that that resume needs to have more, you know, tangible results in the month of January on it. Um, so that, that, that that's probably how I'd view it. I mean, certainly circumstances always dictate things. And if, you know, Richardson, for some reason, has an oft injured year or, you know, it doesn't go according to plan or. You know, those sorts of things that could maybe impact where, you know, whatever your your black and white evaluation in August, September is a little bit different as as that year moves along. You know, obviously there's a belief in the defensive system with Gus Bradley. You know, if that does go according to plan, you know, could that be something of an evaluation point as well? Um, but I, I, I just think, and part of me, of this is like saying, I mean, isn't it time? You know, like I, just more confused than anything. And others, I, I do think there's a little bit of, you know, push from the ownership of, um, I mean, if you just simply look at the GMs hired right with Ballard or just before, just after him, and the guys that are still around, I mean, their their resumes just absolutely, frankly, dominate. You know, Chris's, when you talk about playoff appearances, playoff wins, however you want to look at it, division titles, those, those sorts of things. So, um I would think to answer your question, it is it is a playoff appearance um, to make sure that you know this rebuild, this new era, is continuing to go down the path that you feel like it is on. And, and, and right now, I think you got to be very pleased with the early, early part of what you saw in year one with uh, with Shane Steichen. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney on the wake up call with KB and Andy on this radio station. Kevin, are we getting closer? And, and I say closer to. But, but it's fascinating to me with the NFL Combine. Are we going to come to the day, and maybe it's in a decade, where the Combine becomes basically about medical reviews and MRIs and in-person interviews and workouts themselves are all almost completely done independently on college campuses? I don't know if we're real close to it. Um... You know, outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., I, I I can't think of many guys that are you know taking that sort of stance. I mean, there's 321 prospects. Well, don't a lot of the quarterbacks um, not throw now? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're the couple of top guys. I mean, Stroud threw last year. Um, I, I don't believe Drake May and um, 
and Caleb Williams and Jane Daniels. I mean, if you're going picks one, two, three, and there's any question about your arm, you probably are not going to do that. So, again, I think when you narrow it down to percentages or numbers of it, I mean, 98% of the prospects are participating in some physical capacity as long as they are healthy. Um, so, you know, kind of go off of Ballard's answer from a few days ago, well, not everybody's Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, they don't have that, that sort of resume in college that they can go go off of. Um, you know, in, in a player empowerment type of movement as it continues to go, and I just think in general professional sports continues to go down that, that path. And, it, you know, maybe we'll get there at some point, but I still think there's a lot of great, great work that can be done at the Combine. I mean, if you, if you are a strong athletic tester in particular – I mean, it, I mean, look look what it helped you know Anthony Richardson do last season. I mean, it can be incredibly beneficial for you if you are able to you know put up great numbers and uh, you could say and, Stroud you know, as well. I mean, Kevin Stroud was going to be a top three pick, obviously, but that seemed to submit it here, didn't it? I mean, like when he, you remember last year? I mean, you and I were doing the show here. Would you agree? I thought last year Stroud was the buzz of the combine. Yeah, I, outside of Richardson, um, you know, certainly Stroud when he when he threw, yeah, without question. Obviously, Richardson was the one dazzling in those other workouts. Um, so maybe there is a you know point in time where it gets to that. Um, and, and I, I mean, I understand where Marvin Harrison Jr. is coming from, and that it is a bit odd that you know for really three months, or I guess two months, depending on your bull situation, these guys have been training for a decathlon for for a track meet, you know, very different than uh, – and they will continue to do it after this. They will continue to do it largely for their pro days. Um, of course, the NFL scouts would push back and say, no, we actually pay attention to these numbers. Like, it's not like we're just telling you to do these things and then there's no merit in them. We, we, we base draft evaluations off of it, and there's, you know, evidence behind it that, you know, whatever, a player that's his size and runs like that and jumps like that, their success rate is this in the NFL. So – you know, it's not like they're just having them do these workouts and then they don't pay any attention to it or there's little evidence that they end up using in the process. Uh, but at the same time, I understand Harrison that says, well, there's no real point in me training for a track meet when I am a football player and I want to make sure that whatever, come you know, spring offseason program or training camp, that I'm not you know, making up for lost time and I'm training for specific football type of activity. So. I guess answered fully. I don't think we are close, close to it, but I could probably see that number right now of like one to two percent of guys. You know, maybe that 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 grows. You know, by a percentage point here in the next couple of years. Colts beat writer from 107.5thefan.com, as well as co-host of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airways. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Kev, I've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the need for a philosophical shift to happen from Chris Ballard, even though it's unlikely to happen if I was him and I had done what I have done in terms of free agency the last couple of years, I would be much more aggressive on taking a big swing on one guy versus, you know, putting my eggs in two or three baskets for okay players that maybe turn into good players. That said, just as an exercise with this, what is more likely to happen if Chris Ballard was to do something philosophically different in an offseason than he's done in the past? Making a big signing for a key playmaker of like high dollar amount or trading up into the top 10 to go get somebody like Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze to the top wide receivers on the board? Well, I, I don't know who the answer would be to your first one, so I'll opt to the second. 
Uh, Let's say I Mike Evans, just for the sake of argument. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, but the, the class itself I know has kind of died a bit with T. Higgins getting tagged or Calvin Ridley. I don't know. A, a player like that. Yeah. Um, I guess if you put it in those terms, maybe I would opt for the signing. You know, you, could, could you view a guy like Evans and, and, you know, feel like he's mentoring whatever, a younger room or younger offense? Could he be a little bit of the, of the Reggie Wayne in 2012 for Andrew Luck? Could he be that for Anthony Richardson here in Richardson's first full season? Um, so maybe there. I, I, I still am like thinking, though, financially, boy, that's a whole lot in an offseason where I think he wants to bring back several of those top in-house guys. And if you do that, you're really going to shrink what your you know, outside the building cap space is going to look yeah. like for those free agents. The whole trade-up idea, I mean, moving from you know 15 to 8, I mean, that, that, that's a huge, huge trade-up. Um, especially for a position. And, again, you can look at this in a lot of ways. And, and I thought Ballard was extremely honest yesterday with us earlier in the week at the podium saying, I mean, this wide receiver class, I mean, it, it's historically good draft-wise. So how do you view it? Do you view that and say, okay, it's historically good. That means I can rely on its depth. Or do you say it's historically good? There's some potential Canton guys in the first round. you got to make sure you try and get one of those guys. So you can probably look at it in a couple of ways, Ballard's M.O. would probably be rely on a little bit more of that depth. But if you're going to say trade up in the top eight or trade up in the top ten versus you know, sign, let's say one of those guys does hit free agency, I, I'd probably say wait till free agency. But, you know, again, I, I wouldn't put the percentages at very high at all. Kevin Bowen is our guest, of course, as I mentioned, you hear him in the mornings, KB and Andy, the wake-up call. Um Kevin, you tell me if you think I'm overstating it. But I actually let off the show today by saying, in terms of anticipation and potential like economic impact on the city and certainly for a franchise, I personally don't think that we can overstate the buzz and the aura that is almost generational within sport of Caitlin Clark coming to the Indiana Fever. Your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think there's super potential there because the bar is really low. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, if you just look at the attendance numbers or if you look at, you know, the season ticket numbers for the fever, it, it's obviously not been at a high level. I mean, to be totally honest, they've probably been the laughing stock of the WNBA for the last you know, handful of seasons and, and they have had so much turnover and, you know, front office and head coach and, you know, that you know, cut high draft picks and just haven't won a lot of games, frankly. Um, plus, I also think it, 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 it's a time in the calendar where you do have an opportunity. I mean, when you think about it from a local standpoint, you know, if you're talking fall or winter months, the competition level is Colts, it's Pacers, it's collegiate sports. It's, you know, certainly I think there's decent attendance from a high school sports standpoint when you're talking about basketball, even high school football. In the fall, draw some big numbers. And when you look at the fever season, uh, I mean that's that's mid-May to mid-September. That's that's not a you know, high volume, high traffic standpoint outside of you know obviously the month of May as you close that out in the Indianapolis Indians. But besides that, high school sports aren't really in session, and you know professionally, Colts and Pacers obviously aren't going on as well. Sure, you still run into the it's an indoor sport during an outdoor time period. That probably hinders some things. But, again, if you just surely went off where the bar is at right now, there's an opportunity to really, really 
tap into that. Um, and I know the NBA map is not the exact same as the WNBA, and Jake, you see this full well at Pacers games, but I've always felt like, and I know it doesn't make for the greatest home environment at times inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but one of the real benefits the Pacers have from a night-in, night-out ticket standpoint is if you're a fan of an individual player from Cincinnati, if you live, I should say, in Cincinnati or Louisville or St. Louis, this is your closest NBA town. So if you want to go see Steph Curry or you want to go see Zion or you want to go see LeBron and you live in those big cities, this is your closest avenue. The WNBA only has 12 teams, but it, it, it's a similar map if you look at it. And, if, again, if you are, you know, whatever, young girls and parents of those girls and you're in those cities, I mean, we saw it with the Big Ten schedule, and that's even still, you know, very Midwest-centric. If you reach out a little bit further – you would think the fever going to benefit from that. It's it, it's amazing to even look at the secondary ticket market right now of fever home games and to see what those numbers are. It's crazy to compare them to even like the fever going on the road or certainly other tickets involving WNBA teams. So, yeah, I mean, the opportunity is just absolutely golden for them to capitalize on it. And, Kevin, and, and, I, I, and, and, I honestly believe they're going to sell out season tickets. I honestly believe that. Like 17,000 people? Yes. I think there's – well, whatever. I, I don't know how many – you know, they're, I'm saying their season ticket allotment. I, you know, I don't know how many of their of the seats are held for season tickets. But I'll bet you – what do they have, 20 home games? Yeah, that sounds right. I'll bet you – I'll bet you – in the first year, I'll bet you – at minimum, 15 of them are sold out. Yes, 17,000 seats. I truly yeah, believe well, that. I mean, I, maybe it, I'm crazy. Yeah, I don't – it doesn't sound that far-fetched to me. I mean, if you just look at what the Big Ten attendance, you know, was for a lot of these games and just what she did. Um, again, I, I'm, I don't have a great grasp on exactly, you know, what the spring-summer appetite will be. Again, part of me thinks it will be there, but then – that's you fair. Know, I mean, that's really... it's a different season. And, and you are the, – the one thing probably that is an obstacle, to your point, is that a lot of Caitlin Clark fan base are young girls or young people with their parents who during the spring and summer are involved in travel sports, right? And, and it's sure. different than a, a snowy night in Iowa City. But I, I'm telling you, I've been to Iowa. I've been, I, I've been to the Iowa Speedway where she was there and – people were literally like stepping around Kenny Chesney to get a better photo of Caitlin Clark. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're only five and a half hours away. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's not very far when you, when you think about I think a that, diehard. I, I think that was a factor so in why she – I think that's a factor in why she comes out this year because it, it is Indiana and she knows that there's no chance that she's going to get drafted by somebody farther away and, and it's the second closest franchise to her home state. Well, yeah, I mean, it checks all the boxes. I mean, yeah, I mean, outside of Minnesota and Chicago, I mean, yeah, like you said, this is the closest WNBA team. Again, her boyfriend is here. She She's playing with, by all accounts, a generational post player in Aaliyah Boston. I think that's another side of it that doesn't get talked about enough, really, and I'm at fault for it. Like, my hand is raised in the air. I was talking with a couple people with a fever yesterday, and I'm like, I know Aaliyah Boston's really good. Can you put it into maybe NBA context? for me just so our listening audience can get a better grasp i shared this earlier today and they were like oh she is tim duncan i mean and and someone was like oh she's better than caitlin clark 
Like, like, and think about it <laughs> when you put it into that realm, and that's who Caitlin Clark now becomes teammates with. I mean, what an unbelievably perfect sort of scenario for both parties. Obviously, for Leah Boston to have Caitlin Clark, and then Caitlin Clark to have her as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what a what a time! I, I I said it earlier today, and I mean, I, I was beaming when I saw the news yesterday, just as a father of a young girl. I mean, I know what Reggie Miller and Peyton Manning did for me at a very similar age. Uh, I mean, I was born in 89, and think about that when you pair up Reggie's career and you watch it unfold. I mean, Rosie is three years old, my, my daughter, for her to you know, have someone like this. And who knows? Maybe she won't be a huge sports fan. But just to have that opportunity, and Aaliyah Boston's the same way. I know we had a girls basketball coach from Stony Brook call in a few weeks ago, mentioned that. Um, you know, that stuff just doesn't grow on trees. And for it to have you know, happened in this market, and obviously Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Richardson could be in that realm, uh, it's just an amazing, amazing time for our city. And, and certainly the Fever deserved some luck with the lottery. You know, ping pong balls not bouncing their way before. And, uh, boy, what a time to capitalize on it. Kevin, big plans for the weekend? I have absolutely nothing on the docket, and I love it. Um, That's Notre the best Dame kind of weekend. Tomorrow night if, if you guys want to come over and watch. <laughs> All right, so are we wagering on the Notre Dame-Clemson game? Am I going to have to sing a fight song again? I'm more of a Citadel guy myself. Well, I think that was pretty uncalled for there, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> it's a hot basketball team right now in South Bend. Winners of four of five. Uh, Michael Shrewsbury's bunch playing a little better late in the year. Jake, I think your Clemson Tigers are on the bubble for the 17th straight year. Correct. That you are correct, man. They literally, <laughs> Brad Brownell, like every year, every year Clemson starts out like eleven and zero, and people are like, oh man, and then you know they end up seventeen and thirteen and on the bubble every year. But Notre Dame might pop it for them. We'll see. Kevin, enjoy it, man. Appreciate the conversation. Enjoy the weekend. You guys have a great weekend. All right, Kevin Kevin. Bowen joining us on the program. I just saw Mike Tannenbaum uh, walking past. Jimmy, you want to try to grab him? I'd love to do that, actually. All right. Be great intel for what's been a good week at the Combine. ESPN's Mike Tannenbaum was walking past. We'll see if we can grab him. We'll do it next here. You are listening to NFL Combine coverage on Quarry & Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. NFL Combine. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Combine coverage again on a Friday. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. We're at the Indiana Convention Center. Joining us now, a guy that needs really no introduction when he walks around. He's with ESPN and, of course, a vast executive career in the NFL, notably with the Miami Dolphins from 2015 to 2018 and the pride of the UMass Minutemen. Mike Tannenbaum joins us here on the program. Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, let's begin with this. You know, when you hear now, because the buzz today is the fact, of course, a lot of interest here with Marvin Harrison Jr., even though the Colts are probably not in the slot for him, but for the obvious reasons. But Marvin Harrison Jr. not really coming and doing the things that we're used to in the combine. We're seeing more of that now. Is that of concern to teams, or is that becoming the norm where it's really the pro day that people focus on? Yeah, well, I think the context of that is Marvin Harrison can get away with it. It's not going to impact his economic remuneration, whereas, like, other people it would. So I think, like, they're the more notable players, but I think, by and large, a lot of them know 
competing here is good for them and will give them the benefit of the doubt. I talk to a lot of players in this process, and I always tell them that, like, you want to be a, a whenever, whatever guy. Like, you want me to, you know, throw in the cold in the parking lot? Let's go. You want me to run a 40, you know, in the backyard? Let's go. Like, th- those are what people are looking for because, you know, Coach Belichick always drilled it in our heads in any draft means. The two things that when you go from college to pro, you're going to have more time and more money, and how are you going to react to those two things? And I'm, I'm curious of this from, you know, there's so much that goes into the scouting. What is the hardest thing to be able to determine about a player even after this process? Yeah, it's exactly that. You know, like, true character in life is how you treat people that can't help you. And you want to fill your locker room with selfless people that care deeply about one another and let other people get credit. And when you give them a lot of money, whatever their character is, good or bad, is going to come out even more so. So that, to me, is like, it's the intangibles. We could all watch the tape, but how are they going to transition into the next level is always the most important thing. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. Mike, we know mocks are just tools, but a lot of mock drafts have the Colts at 15 and Brock Bowers falling to him. Do you believe that a player of his caliber could fall that late in the draft? And how do you see him as a prospect as a whole? Yeah, I love him. I think he's a great mismatch. Put him in the slot. He'll be hard. You know, like he goes down the slot and you put a nickel on him. You run the ball. You put a linebacker on him. You throw the ball. Like he will create a lot of mismatches. He could be there, not because he's not a good player, but you're seeing like, you know, Dallas Turner just ran faster than Jalen Hurts. They had that, you know, great (laughs) graphic on. Um, You know, I think quarterbacks will certainly impact that you know I, I could see four maybe even five going before the Colts pick so those things will actually push be it Brock Bowers or some other good player you know down Mike Tannenbaum ESPN analyst is our guest here at the combine Mike I've asked this question a, a lot and we've been talking about it this week but I want to get your perspective the position that has the hardest ability to get a read on how it's going to translate from college to the pro game that's not quarterback yeah. is what? Yeah, the obvious one would be quarterback. You know, after that, like, you know, you, you, like tight end, for example, just going that, like that, Brock Bowers is just physically bigger than a lot of guys he's playing against in the SEC, even at, at the SEC level. But, you know, take Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore is a really good player. Like, Kenny Moore matched up against Brock Bowers is a lot different, you know, than what he's dealt with. And then, like, to me, the other one is, is the linebacker position because, you know, in college it's such a space game. And, you know, by and large you could be 225, 230 pounds. But, look, you're playing the 49ers, like, they're going to run the ball. You know, like, you're seeing some teams, like, that they will run the ball to varying degrees. And, like, the linebacker still has to be able to fit up in the hole, take on blocks, you know, disengage and shed. And those are things they don't have to do a lot of anymore in college. In your opinion, is Indianapolis closer than we think, or do they have a lot of holes that still need to be filled? No, I think they're closer. And here's why. I was screaming from the mountaintops that Anthony Richardson shouldn't play a year ago because you want that to be a 10-year decision, not a 10-month decision. And for all the wrong reasons, you never want to see a player get hurt. The fact that he was able to redshirt for a year – like, look how it turned out for Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes, but Chad Pennington sat for us at the Jets for two years. I've just seen it over and over again. Let them learn, you know, in the NFL. So, to me, um, I think his future is limitless, and I love the fact that he sat for you. Have we seen enough of Richardson at this point to understand the body of work and make a decision about whether he's the guy? No, but I, I'm really encouraged. There's just not a lot of people on the planet that are built that way, and you know they could have a real difference maker, and you need that to compete in the AFC. Why does every general manager say post-draft that the board fell exactly how we wanted it to? <laughs> and has there ever been a moment in your career where you've said that where it wasn't really the case? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Well, we, Quentin Copels was a guy that, you know, we liked at the Jets, but we thought for sure we were going to get Bruce Irvin. And um, 
Seattle took them two spots ahead of us, and, and it was catastrophic. But, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I think everybody has a story like that. We are here at the NFL Draft. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. I want to get back to Indianapolis, and, and Bowers in particular seems to be the guy that we are all talking about. What other glaring needs does Indianapolis have that 15 could be a spot that they can get a good player at? Yeah, like for me, it's corner. Like you want to get like another frontline difference-making corner, and someone will be there. Kool-Aid McKistry, Quinion Mitchell, like somebody will be there for them. And I know, you know, in Gus Bradley's defense, you're like you're going to rush four and you're going to play a lot of zone. But to me, like you still want to have a frontline man-to-man corner outside the numbers. Um, and to me, they'll, they'll be a great corner there. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. Mike, this wide receiver class is viewed as incredibly deep. Where, where do you see the most value in terms of that late first round or early second? Brian Thomas. You know, he's T. Higgins to me. He's 6'4". He could run. You know, so, like, to me, like, there and, – and that could impact whether or not Indy tags Michael Pittman. Pippen's a great player, but if you could get, you know, let's say Brian Thomas, and now we could take that resources and plow it into our offensive line, or, you know, again, something on defense, like that's something that I'm sure Chris Ballard going to take a long look at. Doesn't it feel like the Colts still need one more open space guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody does, I guess, yeah, right? Sure. But, but the Col- you know, I, I think of Pittman, Mike, as a possession is selling him short because he is a dynamic player yep. but he's not necessarily the yards after catch guy i think that we see with the burn speed of other guys right does this draft have those guys that could be available even in the round two uh yeah absolutely like malachi corley comes to mind like he's a great like run after catch guy like the way you described it so um the one thing about michael Pittman, like michael evans he scores points you know like so there's always going to be a premium for those guys but that's why I would take, to your point, I would take Malik Neighbors over Marvin Harrison because of the – I think Marvin Harrison's Larry Fitzgerald. I think Malik Neighbors is like Tyreek Hill, and that's why I would give him, you know, the uh, the slight edge there. Were you at UMass when John Calipari got there? Uh, yes, I, I was. Were you at UMass when Tony Barbie, North Central Star, got there, or was that after you? Yeah, no, he was there at the same time. Yeah. I remember when Tony Barbie committed in high school, and we're like, John Calipari, UMass, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you can tell people proudly you were at UMass back in the birth, right? I, I call uh, UMass the Dream Academy. It allowed me to pursue my dreams, and there was a wonderful woman. She's still there to this day, a woman named Lisa Master Alexis, and uh, she believed in me and gave me like real hopes that, hey, I could do this one day, and uh, I do a lot with the program because uh, she impacted my life so much. Well, I'll tell you what, we appreciate it, and certainly enjoy Indianapolis while you're here, all right? All right, thanks so much, guys. Mike Mike. Tannenbaum from ESPN, and of course, NFL executive. Dolphins 2015 to 2018. I'll never forget to parlay off the, the, the end of that when I was in high school, Tony Barbie, two years ahead of me at North Central, and he was a big-time recruit. I mean, probably a top 75 guy. And we were all fascinated with where he was going to go. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to, to UMass. We're like, what? You're getting recruited by Kentucky, Purdue, and you're going to Ma- Massachusetts? Is that right? He said, yeah, they got this coach, John Calipari. I've told you that before. He met him at Five Star, and we'd never heard of Calipari. And I'd say it worked out. But back to um, the point that Mike was saying, look, I, I think receiver is another area, Jimmy, when you look at – We've talked so much about Brock Bowers over the course of of this particular week, and he is certainly a guy that, because of what he brings to the table, and and, and if he is a George Kittle, Travis Kelsey-type tight end, it's really hard to pass on that because you see how much that opens up and softens defenses and allows offenses to click. But, look, if there's a a game-stretching receiver that's available too, I mean, and I I know this is crazy because we're talking – you know, a, a Jefferson or Jamar Chase level receiver, Jimmy, you got to take a look at that, right? Because 
the Colts are drafting 15th. This is not like last year where they had a top four pick and all the conversation was about the quarterbacks. It's just a different, it's a different season. It's a different draft. It's a different outlook. And it's a different priority when you're drafting 15th. And if you can get an offensive playmaker, even though I know that there are other areas where you need help, I think you take a long, hard look at it. Well, especially if there's a situation where you're able to move up a couple of spots or if another playmaker falls, I would say it's much harder for one of the top-end wide receivers like Roma Dunce to fall given the – just intangibles of them and their overall skill set and the need for wide receiver. And like you mentioned, Jake, everybody needs a playmaker in space. But the Colts are in a spot, and yes, I am the offensive first guy, but they're in a spot where this offseason should be entirely dedicated to supplying Anthony Richardson with weapons. So whether it's Brian Thomas Jr., whether it's – this is probably a little bit outside of their range. I think Brian Thomas Sr. at this point. <laughs> uh, Keon Coleman out of Florida State, that would be about eight or nine spots behind where the Colts are at. So I don't want to reactivate tradeback season. But yeah, if you have the opportunity to get a player that you think instantly fits into Shane Steichen's system and instantly makes life easier for Anthony Richardson, you have to do it. Yeah, I, I you know, look, it's going to be interesting. And, and, and in particular, this, this this entire combine, though, Jimmy, just feels different this year, partially because I think we know who the number one quarterback is going to be, at least at this point it certainly seems that way. But with big players like a Harrison Jr., and I like what Mike said there, you know, he can get away with it, right? But with big players deciding to kind of opt out of what takes place here, you're going to see more and more of that. This is going to become basically the combine is going to get more and more just like a meeting session and the evaluations are going to take place for people when they do the pro days and they go and they meet with them individually. I will say there is still substance, though, to a player that's in a second or third round spot going into the combine to go out and – like he mentioned, well, like, I agree with that. The, but like the but top, you're at the top five end guys, guys right? yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna. You're exactly right. The top end guys, we're gonna evolve to a point where what is to be gained from me being here? Perhaps I'll have my pro day, and you can see a little bit more of me. But you've seen my college tape. You know what my game is. It speaks for itself. For those guys, certainly. But the combine itself, like the the drills and the whether it's the medicals like you mentioned there's aspects of this event especially for mid-tier players that we see mid-tier players turn into stars all the time it's not an uncommon practice in the nfl there's still an advantage to being a part of this day if you're one of those players but i'm with you it looks like we are trending towards a world where high-end wideouts high-end playmakers are going to see this event as a risk for them versus a reward. A lot to talk about here at the Combine. A lot to talk about in general with sports in Central Indiana. We've been talking about the Caitlin Clark story, which is big news from yesterday. We'll continue that conversation. And Lara Overton of the Colts is going to join us just under an hour from now. We are at the Indiana Convention Center. You're listening to coverage of the NFL Combine. You're listening to it on Query and Company on a Friday, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. See, it's raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you taken two days and 60 percent of the shows for me to finally warm up to the fact that we're at the combine and everybody's leaving right when right when i'm like okay this is cool i'm used to it everybody's gone the patriots kids just packed up and left i think that's a you problem not a them problem 
Well, everybody's got like the the. Now the Steelers folks still have their big banner up, right? They're still doing content. Yeah, they're still here. The Giants are in pack up mode, but they I've still never have their banners up. I never saw the Raiders folks show up. Last year, the Raiders guys yeah. showed up at like. 10.30 every morning and looked like they had just rolled in. <laughs> totally fitting for the Raiders, right? I had seen a small like Las Vegas radio contingent, but in terms of the Raiders, their table, which is a couple down from us, never saw it occupied. The Jets are interesting because they always show up for like a day and then they leave. The The Patriots are behind us. They just, they're boarding up. They, they have a third pick. I, the Commanders, have you seen anybody from the Commanders? I have not, but then again, I don't usually seek out Commanders representatives. Now, here is here is... The ultimate trivia question. Eddie, do we have any prizes to give away? Do we have tickets to give away today by chance for Yes, we do. We should give away tickets based on this. I just did a walk around. Now, for those that are unfamiliar here at the National Football League Combine, we are in one of the big exhibition halls at the convention center. So you just got this big room, right? And they have tables set up. I think people have seen, like, in the NFL draft, in the old days, the table with all the phones on them. So they have tables set up, and they have Radio Row is what we're on, technically. And it's just a bunch of people, both from radio stations and then also from the specific teams, like the internet and and service, media service for the specific teams that are set up here. And I did like a walk around. I did a walking survey because that's what I do. I'm inquisitive, right? My last name's Query. So I walked around and I noticed there's one franchise that has more representation here than any other. They have their, not only do they have their team coverage here, they also have a city from their area, their market that is here. They have a second city that is here covering them, and they have a conglomerate. In other words, a somebody representing multiple radio stations that are here. So there is one franchise that actually has four tables set up. If anybody can guess that franchise, we should give them a prize pack. I'm here. I'm here for it. Because I keep, don't think I have the right answer off the top of my head, and I've been here for three days. We could even take – would it be the worst radio ever if we just took phone calls and so, like three people and see if they could guess it? I'll give them hints about the team. It wouldn't be any different than the rest any other of the radio that we do. <laughs> the other radio that we do. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. We're on remote, so I can't see, like, who we have. Like, if people called in at 239-1070 and they wanted to go see Los Lobos and Little Feet and they wanted to see it at, out at White River coming up here in the summer and spend a wonderful evening downtown and they wanted to call in, like, I wouldn't know. So I'm just going to trust Eddie to tell me in my ear who we have, and I'll go ahead and give them a few hints. Eddie, who do we have first? Uh, well, the only call I've been able to get to so far is Steve. We may do the other four that are on hold, uh, rapid roulette style. <laughs> All right, we'll begin with Steve real quick. Steve, what's up? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Jake. Great comments about the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis 500 during the first hour of the show. I'm right with you on both those. Well, I appreciate that. In terms of both of them being natures of nostalgia that come within it. All right, Steve, so you heard my uh, my whole rundown there. There, There is one franchise here that has taken up four tables of Radio Row at the Combine. Two different cities that would cover this franchise are here, and then two conglomerates, one conglomerate table and the franchise itself. What franchise am I talking about? The Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys, an excellent guess from Steve. Not the correct one. Not the correct one. With each passing hint, or with each passing guess, and I'll give an additional hint. 
the first would be this for our next caller. It is the same conference as the Dallas Cowboys. It is the same conference as the Dallas Cowboys. Who do we have next, Eddie? I don't know. We're doing this rapid roulette style. I don't know who's next. Okay, roulette style. Just give me a line. We'll go with <laughs> Well, they hung <laughs> up as Line two roulette style. <laughs> line two roulette style. You are on the air here on Querying Company. Who is this? Do we have line two? Guest number two. Are you there? Little help here. Uh oh. Okay. Line two, you there? I, I knew this was going to be great radio. All right. Hello, this Blow is Andy. Out, Eddie. Hey, oh, Andy. Andy, what's up? Okay, Andy, do you have a guess what team I'm talking about? Uh, well, I just heard the other guy say uh, Cowboys. You said no bueno, so I'm going to go with the Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, an excellent guess, because they have another one that would have perhaps multiple cities that would be here covering it, but not the correct one. Andy, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, let's see if we can smoothly go like one or two more here. All right, Eduardo, who's next? Let, tell me what line we got. Let's punch it through. We're on line five. Here we go. All right, line five, what's up? You're on the air. Hey. What's your name, sir? Jack Edwards. <laughs> Jack, Ed- Jack Edwards, you ever met Jack Daniels by chance? <laughs> well, it's a little early, but he ain't far away. <laughs> I like that. All right, Jack, uh, you heard the, the, the questions, right? You know what we're doing here. What NFL franchise am I talking about that has the greatest media representation here and Radio Row at the Combine? Has to be the Giants, right? The New York Giants, another outstanding guest. Keep in mind the Jets have representation here as well. But no New York media outside of the two specific teams. I'll give another hint here, which is this. It's a big hint, okay? At one time within the last 25 years, this team played home games in a college stadium. Okay, uh, Eddie, one more here, roulette style. You are on the air with Query and Company. Who is this? What is your name, sir? Scott Forrester. (laughs) Scott, Scott, all right. You heard all the criteria. We're looking for the team that is the most represented at the NFL Combine. You've heard all the hints. What's your guess, Scott? I am going to say the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, a great guess. Really good guess because you possibly could have, like, D.C. stations here. Baltimore, it's possible when they moved from Cleveland, a stadium wasn't done yet. So maybe they played, like, at University of Maryland. Great guess. Not the right one. Not the right one. Jimmy, you you honed in yet? I think I've got it. Yeah, I have a guess if you want me to – we got one more, Eddie. Let's go one more before okay. Jimmy makes his guess and we flush it out because we still have tickets to give away. All right. On the air, who is this? Hello? Nick. Hello? Nick, what's up? Hey, how's it going? You know, I'm doing okay, Nick. How about yourself? Are you out and about? What are you I'm doing, doing today, right. Nick? I'm, I'm doing you right. anything for, What are you doing tonight? What are you doing tonight, Nick? You got big plans tonight? Uh, probably, probably actually just staying in for the night. Sorry. Just staying in? <laughs> how, how old a fella are you, Nick? Uh, I am 42. 42. You're right in my wheelhouse. Uh, what side of town are you living on? South side. South side. You married, kids, anything like that? Yeah, yep. Yep. Uh, got, got all that outside, cha- outside chance on a Friday night that Shannon and I are going to go out for our weekend dinner and a beer on the south side somewhere. You want to meet up with us, have a beer with us? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have a PBR? We'll go, to the, we'll go to the ale on the south side and have a PBR. Are you in, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> See, that's that's what I'm talking about, Nick. All right, Nick, what, what team am I talking about? Uh, the 49ers. 
the 49ers, another outstanding guess because you could have San Jose here, San Francisco. What if I told you, Nick, that this team actually shares the same mascot as my high school? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what high school you went to. <laughs> okay. What if I told you that they played their first year of existence in the stadium that I am a diehard fan and season ticket holder of from a college standpoint? Oh, uh, man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, the Bears? Okay, the Bears. Sorry. Sorry, Nick. I, I apologize. Not there yet. Jimmy, you've got to know the answer at this point, although we yeah. have tickets to give away. So, Nick, here's the thing. Uh, Eddie, I'll let you pick who, who gets the tickets here to Los Lobos and as well, of course, um, I, I forget who's the other one that's playing with Los Lobos. Little Feet. Oh, Little Feet. Sorry. Little Feet. That's coming up in July. Jimmy? Yeah, so I had a different guess until that last hint. I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers is correct. There's a Charlotte radio station here. There's an Asheville radio station here. There's iHeart Carolina that is here. And there is, of course, the Carolina Panthers. I thought it was funny that the team that probably would needs the most work, for sure, right? But I, didn't they trade away their entire draft? Yes, they did. They did. They did to go get Bryce Young last year. I'm not sure what they're doing here. <laughs> like, are they did, they? did they think if they brought enough teams, they'd get a few extra picks? Maybe back? they book it a year out, and then <laughs> they had so. it planned the day before that trade to go get Bryce Young. So they're like, maybe well, I'll we got to go ask him. Asheville's super cool, by the way. You can go to the Sierra Nevada Brewery while you're there. Uh, Lara Overton's going to join us from the Colts. Going to do so in the two o'clock hour as we continue and talk a little bit of Pacers coming up as well. Uh, Steelers breaking down their tarp right now. We're, Jimmy, we're going to be the last one here, right? Yes, we're, we're closing it down. We're like Tom Hanks and Wilson in this deal. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Combine Coverage on The Fan. Now, uh, Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you where I'm impressed. And I'm easily impressed, but I'm impressed by this. The Patriots and the Steelers, like they're not messing around, right? They got these big tarps. They're big, elaborate things. They look like tra- like the Patriots got theirs down in like forty five. It was one of the most incredible executions <laughs> of engineering I've ever seen. Right, the Steelers had to outdo it because there's a natural rivalry, right? AFC, right? Yeah, for sure. The, the Steelers guys, they're, they're big, and, and I'm talking about for those that aren't familiar here at the Combine on Radio Row. You know, each team has the big banner that sits behind them, the backdrop, if you will, for when you're watching on TV. The, the Patriots wasted no time in getting theirs no. down and out of here. They right? were high level efficient, but the Patriots, strangely enough, have like 19 people working for them. Now the Steelers, it's just two lonely guys from Pittsburgh, right? These guys got this thing down, and then it, it was like watching a military flag thing where they the two guys stand together and, and fl- the, are, are you guys military guys from pittsburgh <laughs> he was air force that, that explains it because he had it down to an exact science in terms of like folding the thing over like military flag style and they had it done in like 30 seconds it would take me literally if i knew that i had to put up our tarp for the combine coverage that we have here which apparently no one knew but if i knew that we had to do that i would have to start preparing to do that sometime around early december 
just to get it up, right? I mean, right. It, it, that came out the wrong way, but you get what I'm saying, right? right? Just to get the tarp up, I should say. And, and, and the way that those guys broke that down was impressive. Well, then that is good news for us moving forward because we now know proactively, if we ever wind up having one, that you or I are not equipped for it because I, too, would struggle in trying to yeah. both put up and take down said tarp. I mean, it was uh, it was quite the design. Now, the Patriots are still hanging around here, but they've got the third pick. I think that's why. The guys from Arizona look like they don't know what's going on because it's like 7 o'clock in the morning in Arizona. I don't even, maybe they're not even from Arizona. They just stole the Cardinals' table, right? That's a common thing. Whenever you see a team leave, it's first come, first serve. You go, you take the table. I'll tell you, the Titans table next to us was like in high demand. I mean, the second that the Titans left, people started jumping on, notably because Andy and Kevin aren't here anymore. And so they were like, oh, we can sit now we can sit down next to these guys. Well, it's really right. prime real estate. You're right by the door. Think about it. You got every, everybody just coming through. Maybe you're trying to snag somebody for a feature piece or Near a little the restaurants, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, last year, I think it was, it was a fellow from Miami. A couple years ago when I was here, there was a guy from Miami next to us, and he was getting irritated because he was trying to write, and I kept talking. And I'm like, well, we both have a job to do, right? Well, but that's why they have a separate section of this building for doing writing in a quiet place. Like, you go to the media hall where the food is, and it's just very silent, like a library almost. Do you, do you, and I think most of the guys here, I can say this now because we're surrounded by nothing but radio guys. Do you, do you ever notice that the, the average weight in the obesity level and the writing side is much higher than in this particular hall? I have not actually noticed that. That's, there's a reason that's where the food is, right? I mean, let's just be real. Uh, Pacers in action tonight, taking on the Pelicans in New Orleans. Jimmy, we talked about it earlier. This is an intriguing one for Indiana because you're coming off a game where they played well, obviously, the other night in defeating the Pelicans here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. But then the question becomes, this has been the bugaboo for Rick Carlisle's club, and that is just simply trying to find the consistency of doing it night in and night out, especially on the road. It's not a back-to-back, but it kind of is in terms of foe. Um, but New Orleans was coming off a really difficult travel circumstance and coming into Indiana. You could tell they were a little bit worn down. I think they exerted a lot of energy just to get kind of back into the game with the Pacers. And then the Pacers were able to close that out. But uh, I think intriguing tonight to see what the Pacers are able to do to start this three-game road trip, which starts in New Orleans and then goes two in a row in Texas. We mentioned it earlier. It's kind of like a playoff simulation in terms of the way you're strategizing from a staff standpoint and from a game plan standpoint because you're sa- you're playing the same team, you're doing it with a day off in between, and you're getting a second chance to readjust, to refocus on what it is that your opponent does well, how they'll counter what you do well, even though it still is the regular season. And the reason it's more of a measuring stick game for the Pacers, roster construction-wise, these two teams are different. But in terms of where they are in their respective conference standings, they're near identical. Pelicans are the sixth team in the West. Pacers right now, if it ended today, are the seventh in the East. They're, they're right in the middle of the pack of the proceedings of their conference, but both teams feel like they have high-level players that are going to help them make some noise in the postseason. The biggest thing for me, Jake, and I think we're going to find it out early in this game, the Pelicans played awful for the first quarter of that ball game, as kind of expected because we mentioned they had the flight delays and then get into like five in the morning. A lot of your routine, regardless of us wanting athletes to be robots, gets turned upside down, especially it being at the time, the second night of a back-to-back for the Pelicans. It took multiple runs from New Orleans late in this game that the Pacers were able to stiff arm to get a victory. And that was impressive. It goes back to their defense stepping up late in games and their offense answering the bell to have this nice one-two knockout punch to close out opponents. Now that well-rested edge is gone, home court 
as is the schedule presented, is gone. You're on the road now against a really good New Orleans team. It's another true test to see how you respond. And if you take a lead early in this game, you know there's going to be those wild runs by New Orleans. How does your defense respond? Yeah, I would agree defensively. That's what you're looking for is some consistent defensive play in particular. Their offense has slowed down a little bit, but that's not necessarily something that you get completely thrown off by just because that's if you are looking for a simulation or to get a true feel as to what teams need to look like for the postseason then the, the reality is in the postseason you don't get necessarily the frantic up and down play right yeah. you got to be able to you got to be able to play in a half court set but you got to be able to have a guy that can get a shot when defenses clamp down on him and that's what Pascal Siakam brings to the table which they did not have before now college side of things latest bracketology Purdue back to being the number one seed I believe in the tournament correct um, overall and again not end all be all but gives you a good barometer question for you Jimmy Cook and I'm going to put you on the spot here you ready Always. And to be fair, I had to look this up. So I, I, I'm not – I mean, this would be – Well, if you had to look it up, then, yeah, we know where this is going. But let's play anyway. Can you tell me who the four right now provisional number two seeds are in the NCAA tournament? No, I cannot. Yeah, exactly, right? No. And that's what's so funny is this is a tournament that is so wide open because you, 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 you have a feel like who the two – the three or four best teams are, but then after that, you're like, wait a minute, really? I would have guessed one if you gave me six guesses, but the other three I would not have. Iowa State is one, correct? Would not have guessed that. Nor would I. I mean, I know the Big 12's been a behemoth this year. Houston, Kansas, like it's a monster conference, but I, I would not have guessed that. I would not have guessed because I felt like they were having kind of a down year. I would not have guessed North Carolina. See, that's the one I would have. If you would really? have given me enough okay. bites of the apple, in part because I would have gone off of. I, I think I would have figured out Marquette, who's one of them. And then the Volunteers of Tennessee. Tennessee I have watched more so the last two weeks than I have prior to that point. But I also don't know that I would have thrown that out there first go-round. Now, the other thing that I had talked about earlier with Purdue. You know, I was saying that Purdue's challenge is going to be, in my opinion, Purdue's biggest challenge to get to the Final Four. And I know it sounds crazy. When Purdue gets deep in, if they go into the second weekend and they're facing like an Auburn or, for that matter, a Tennessee or a Marquette, who they've, you know, they played, or, or North Carolina, they know what's at stake there. And I think in those and I'm not saying that they psychologically have any sort of a mental weakness but I think the challenge for Purdue because there's going to be so much chatter about underperforming Purdue like right now just for example again these are provisional but but Lenardi has a gives you a pretty good idea he has right now the 8-9 matchups as Oklahoma and Colorado State Texas and Michigan State the others that he has in the 8-9 matchups, Mississippi State and Nebraska. I think Mississippi State's actually the exact example I used, right, for this, what I'm about to say. And then the other one, Northwestern and Texas Christian. Northwestern, you already know, can give Purdue fits. But a team like a Mississippi State, a team like an Oklahoma, a Power 5 conference team that has athletes and has precedent to no big games in big environment, 
in that second round against Purdue if they can get length and they can play and disrupt you a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the clock starts ticking in Purdue's head and they start looking up and they start thinking about everything that comes into play. That second game, to me, has the uh, has the potential to be the biggest trap game of them all, right? Well, that, that should be for a one seed. You often see those eight, nine winners come out and they give hell to whoever the one seed is because you're used and a lot of times Jimmy those are teams that like have only put it together like in the last six or eight weeks right. but they're a totally different team that they were they had to play their way into the tournament and they're a totally different team than they were at the beginning and, of the year and a lot of those teams especially when you see big hot streaks going on they will have had a four-game winning streak or a five-game winning streak or they've won five of their last six they, they have bottled up a lot of momentum and are playing their best basketball of the year when you hit that second round game and the one seed is coming off of for the most part a cupcake matchup that they've earned against a 16 seed so your your first game of the tournament isn't really the ncaa tournament if you're a one seed because you're expected to win that game i get it i know the fdu jokes are there but i've stressed this multiple times and this is not just the nerd aspect of me mathematically speaking purdue's not losing to a 16 seed again it's happened twice in 40 years, however long the, the 16th right. seed has existed. And that's, what happened to the last one when they when they lost? They won it all. They won it all. Virginia right. won the national title. And, and again, that's another parallel where it's like, okay, I mean, that's great, but can't really hang your hat on that. But going back to Lenardi for a second, just from a, pers- a fan perspective, a neutral, not necessarily pulling one or the other, I would love to see Purdue-Auburn in the second weekend. Like That's that's where he has it. He has a four-seeded Auburn, and you could see that potentially in the, uh, I guess it would be the Elite Eight game would effectively be or no, it'd be a Sweet 16 matchup against Auburn or potentially Clemson. Is Clemson is a five seed there, you're, you're Tigers. So, look, Purdue, if they hold on to the top overall seed, will be the beneficiaries of, in theory, the weaker four seeds, the weaker two seeds. Like, there, there's an easier path there. That said, this isn't just a, oh, Purdue can't win in March type of thing. We have enough data to show that Big Ten teams Oh, looks like somebody pulled the cord. So while we get Jake and Jimmy back, let's get back to a conversation that we had earlier in the program. ESPN's Mike Tannenbaum joined Jake and Jimmy not too long ago. The former general manager of the NFL with the Miami Dolphins talked about the NFL draft and some prospects that he likes uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. NFL Combine coverage again on a Friday. Jake Query along with Jimmy Cook. We're at the Indiana Convention Center. Joining us now, a guy that needs really no introduction when he walks around. He's with ESPN and, of course, a vast executive career in the NFL, notably with the Miami Dolphins from 2015 to 2018 and the pride of the UMass Minutemen. Mike Tannenbaum joins us here on the program. Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, let's begin with this. You know, when you hear now, because the buzz today is the fact, of course, a lot of interest here with Marvin Harrison Jr., even though the Colts are probably not in the slot for him, but for the obvious reasons. But Marvin Harrison Jr. not really coming and doing the things that we're used to in the combine. We're seeing more of that now. Is that of concern to teams, or is that becoming the norm where it's really the pro day that people focus on? Yeah, well, I think the context of that is Marvin Harrison can get away with it. It's not going to impact his economic remuneration, whereas, like, other people it would. So I think, like, they're the more notable players, but I think, by and large, a lot of them know competing here is good for them and will give them a bit of a doubt. I talk to a lot of players in this process, and I always tell them that, like, you want to be a – 
a whenever, whatever guy. Like, you want me to, you know, throw in the cold in the parking lot? Let's go. You want me to run a 40, you know, in the backyard? Let's go. Like, th- those are what people are looking for because, you know, Coach Belichick always drilled it in our heads in any draft means. The two things that when you go from college to pro, you're going to have more time and more money, and how are you going to react to those two things? And I've, I'm curious of this from, you know, there's so much that goes into the scouting. What is the hardest thing to be able to determine about a player even after this process? Yeah, it's exactly that. You know, like true character in life is how you treat people that can't help you. And you want to fill your locker room with selfless people that care deeply about one another and let other people get credit. And when you give them a lot of money, whatever their character is, good or bad, is going to come out even more so. So that to me is like it's the intangibles. We could all watch the tape, but how are they going to transition into the next level is always the most important thing. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. Mike, we know mocks are just tools, but a lot of mock drafts have the Colts at 15 and Brock Bowers falling to him. Do you believe that a player of his caliber could fall that late in the draft? And how do you see him as a prospect as a whole? Yeah, I love him. I think he's a great mismatch. Put him in the slot. He'll be hard. You know, like he goes down the slot and you put a nickel on him, you run the ball, you put a linebacker on him, you throw the ball. Like he will create a lot of mismatches. He could be there, not because he's not a good player, but you're seeing like, you know, Dallas Turner just ran faster than Jalen Hurts. They had that, you know, great (laughs) graphic on. Um, You know, I think quarterbacks will certainly impact that you know I, I could see four maybe even five going before the Colts pick so those things will actually push be it Brock Bowers or some other good player you know down I guess we dropped out for a second there. yeah that connection. was the best segment we've ever done right do you know what do you know what I think it was I'm yeah, gonna be conspiratorial I know, I know exactly what it was okay I know exactly what it was okay you go first our internet capability was wrapped up in those Patriots and Steelers logos well, I mean, they came that, in here and wrapped that stuff up and threw it out of here. That, that was we part done. of my thought. I think the Steelers didn't take kindly to you mocking their folding <laughs> ability, and they hacked <laughs> right. into the internet and took now, us when out. I, That's when I, I made happened. the joke that the Patriots appeared to know how to fold up tent quickly, <laughs> that that they didn't seem to take liking to that. I thought it was pretty. I thought it was a pretty good joke, to be honest with you. But you know, hey, they didn't seem to like that, right? No, they did not. You notice how quickly Mac Jones was able to fold that tent. <laughs> See, they didn't like that joke either, right? So they just went ahead and booted us off the air. But, you know, I digress. So, no, back to what we were talking about, by the way, which I don't think anybody heard, was the fact that, you know, Indiana State um, has put themselves in position now where they probably, you know, they're going to have to win their conference tournament. It's not going to be a two-bid league. If they'd have won out, if they would have won out, and, yeah. and what you know, hey, listen, what it could have, should have, right? But if Indiana State had won out and not dropped those games they lost when they went back-to-back once they were ranked – then maybe they are in a position, Jimmy, where they have benefit of doubt, and if they got to the Moval Championship game, that would have been enough to get in regardless, right? That is but the, it didn't happen that way, and so now they got some work to do. That's the disadvantage, and we know the rules. We know the way the games are played. That's the disadvantage of being a mid-major in a conference that often does not produce two bids through their league. You have to be near perfect. Indiana State knew that. Drake has known that for years. Bradley's known that. There's plenty of schools within the Missouri Valley, that know that those are the terms and conditions that you sign up for being a part of those programs. That said, they have everything in front of them to go and win that conference tournament, go win the MoVal, and earn themselves, as Lenardi has it, an 11 seed as things stand. And if his draw is accurate, you're going up against St. Mary's. You could pull off an upset there. Then all of a sudden, your second-round matchup is either Baylor or High Point, likely Baylor. But then we get into March Madness, all we love, and maybe Indiana State's hanging a Sweet 16 banner, which would be great for the Sycamores. I mean, that would be that would be super cool, mm-hmm. right? Now, yeah. I do love St. Mary's, though, you know. I do yeah, love some love Randy Bennett, I'm there, man. I'm there for it. I'm in with the Gales. Like, when yeah. I went to their campus and Randy Bennett's like, come on, and he's – Randy Bennett is he's the awesome, head coach the at St. Yes. Mary's, right? Nick Yeoman and I, 
wanted to see the St. Mary's campus because you've always heard of St. Mary's, but who even knows where St. Mary's is, right? Mm-hmm. St. Mary's probably has, has had happened to them what happened to Butler and probably Gonzaga where the NCAA tournament has elevated the profile of the university or the college in their case to the point where now people suddenly know where it is. So, But when I had met Randy Bennett, their head coach, and I don't know him well, but I met him actually on a radio road just like this at the Final Four several years ago. And I asked where they were, and he said, the Bay Area. And I said, when I'm at the IndyCar race in Sonoma, I want to see the campus. And he said, well, here, here's my number. Text me, and I'll, I'll show you around. So Nick Yeoman and I drive over to the St. Mary's campus, which is like <laughs> the size of Park Tudor. And I text him. And this guy pulls up in like a 1996, like, small, like, SUV. And he's like, yeah, hop in. And drives us around and take. I mean, you would have thought that I was like the number one recruit in the country. <laughs> the dude was so cool. Took us in the office, took us around. And then the best part about it was we wanted to get some gear. And he goes, "Well, let me take you over to the bookstore." And it was closed. And he was totally shocked that the bookstore was closed. And I'm like, "This guy's the basketball coach that's put them on the map. He's been there 20 <laughs> years. He wins 20 games a year every year. He's probably won 550, 600 games. And he doesn't know the hours of the bookstore." You think he'd have a clearance to open the bookstore? As, as, no as question. Well known as he is and the there. bookstore literally was like, I, I mean, it was as. It was like us to the Steelers folks here, right? But then unbeknownst to us, just like the Steelers closed up and locked up, that's exactly what the bookstore did, right? Uh, Lara Overton, who's with the Colts, has come by. She is in the house. They, they also have folded up their tent, I think, right? The banner's down for the Colts? Yes, they are. We're the, we, like I said, we're literally like, I'm Tom Hanks, you're Wilson. We're the last two people here. Thanks for making me the volleyball. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's kind of you. That's what I do, right? Uh, anyway, Lara's here. She will join us next. We'll talk about the NFL Combine. I want to get her thoughts on what we talked about at the top of the show as well. We'll do it on the other side, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I feel like that. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We should whisper. Because we're like the only people left in here other than people writing. I was going to ask if it's because my suit is so loud. You feel like you have to counteract that's, it that by too. whispering. Uh, that's a very bright pink, right? Is it fuchsia? I think it's fuchsia. I think Lara that'd be Overton, accurate. Yeah. That is the voice of Lara Overton, by the way, uh, who, of course, you hear on the Colts broadcast, working the sidelines and working for the Colts, joining us here at the NFL Combine. And it, it is... Now, Lara, you, you tell me, because I'm confused by this, I mean... The combine runs through next week, right? Through Monday, yeah. So why is everybody, is it just because everybody has flights back home tonight? Like, why did everybody bail? Because once all of the on-field workouts begin, there's very limited opportunities. There are very limited opportunities of what you can do and capture. Because the NFL Network is running everything from, like, the on-field perspective. So really the greatest benefit for many of the teams is when they come and they get their general manager and their head coach during those availabilities. And that's the first two days, right? Exactly. That's the early part. So that's where you're getting the majority of your content. And then, you know, you're also grabbing national media personalities who are here for other content as well. Some teams will cover the player availabilities. But from my perspective, there's very little that you're able to do with any of that and content. That, the player availabilities go on beyond just today. Oh, yeah. Right? Those will continue. But if you're with a team, 
you don't have much you can really do with any of that content, right? Because you don't want to, the team won't let, want you to post a ton about whoever, insert player here because right. it would appear to be People speculation. It, right? right, exactly. Like if you're the Chicago Bears and you're posting tons of Caleb Williams content, it gets a little, you know, muddies the water. So, so you don't have anything to do here is what we're getting at, right? I mean, you don't have to tell everybody that I'm just, I mean, let's, let's broadcast that. But no, we, uh, we've wrapped pretty much everything up. We got a ton of stuff early in the week. I know Matt Taylor and Casey Valle and Jeffrey Gorman were getting a ton of radio interviews with different people. We were grabbing some interviews with people as well for some work that we have over the next few weeks and uh, obviously got Chris Ballard and, you know, did all of that. And so, yeah. And Shane Steichen's been under the weather, right? And has not yet spoken, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, and I don't know, and I don't mean, I mean, you're not working. PR for the Colts, I realize, but um, did that just get shelved, basically, or is there still the possibility that he talks at some point? You will get an update from our PR department on that. That, is, that information is coming. So. Yeah, there we go. More yeah. stressful or less stressful than last year when all the talk was, what are they going to do with a quarterback? Is this the year? And now yeah. it's more or less, hey, do they go defense or offense? Well, I think it is, it is less stressful because not only is it, oh, you have fourth overall pick, you obviously need to resolve your quarterback situation, but also at that point, Shane had been on the job for two weeks. He was still hiring assistant coaches yeah. at that point in time. So what a difference a year makes when, you know, you have all of those things. Plus, it was what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor and his situation. Now the biggest talking point is, okay, you have these free agents, and what are you going to do about Michael Pittman, which obviously Chris addressed when he spoke on Wednesday. I, and here's the thing, Larry. And I, listen, you work for the Colts. I don't want to put you in a bad spot here. But by all account, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. Chris Ballard all but said, and it takes two to tango, of course, clearly the Colts are very interested. Clearly, the Colts are resigned to doing everything they can, including possibly the tag to keep Michael Pittman Jr. here. But I do think that Michael Pittman also wants to be here, right? Like, I don't think it's going to take a huge selling point. It's going to take a big price tag, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just kind of the going right. That's what Chris indicated at his season-ending presser when he said, you know, no matter what the price of gas is, you still have to fuel up the car, right? There's just, that's what the market value is for certain positions. And then one of the most valuable um you know, bits that we got from Chris's availability was really off the podium when he did his scrum after the fact and Mike Chappell presented it perfectly and he said, come September, do you expect Michael Pittman Jr. to be here and be on this roster? And, you know, that was exactly I believe how uh, Chapp presented it. Do you ever think it's weird that at the gas pump there's three kinds of gas but it all comes out of the same truck? I've always I've found that weird. Really they, they, that. You're, you're, you're trusting that this guy is turning the right valve and that that, that tank, that that truck is three different tanks. I don't, I, I'm a conspiracy wow. theorist on this. I don't believe that. You got the, you got the premium folks, right? And then you got the middle. Sure. And who gets the middle? Because the premium <laughs> is for the premium car, right? Yeah. The, 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 the regular is for just like the regular guy. Who, who, who gets the middle? Like, who's like, you know, yeah, I, I kind of like the middle one, right? Like, wh- wh- what I, is that? Like, is that a Honda? Like, who, who gets the middle? I don't I don't know. No, I feel like we should. I, I so, had a so Honda then, at one yeah. point. I never went to the middle. So right, of Hondas, course, right? I don't, I don't so, know what to tell you. Now, here's the thing. So, it, it, like, it's really, if, you, if you're doing the premium, then it means like, ooh, wow. Like, you know, you're driving the upper echelon car, right? Yeah. Well, and it even says premium fuel only. Okay. And then if you're just a normal Joe and you drive a normal Joe car, you're like, whatever, the 89's fine with me. Who gets the middle? <laughs> I don't 
I'll do research during the break. It's actually that. a good question. Isn't it, it, it? it actually no. is. And, now, and then, I, now I hate this, Jake, because now I'm going to pour right. and I'm going to get gas. And I used to just do this mindlessly right. and just whatever, right. you know, tap the card well, and get it and go. Now I'm going to fixate on this. Yep. I'm going to be observing. Well, I'm going to be looking gonna, around. Here's the other you thing know. you're going to fixate on. You're going to be getting gas. And, and now I'm going to report to you and I'm going to text this. And I'm like, here's the guy getting the medium. The big truck's going to pull up and that guy gets out and it's got one hose that comes off of it. Now it tells you that it's got three knobs that he turns. And one of them, he's putting the 89 in the ground, and then he turns a different knob, and the 93's going, mm-hmm. and then, like, the 97. How do we know that? I think you would see a big spike in news stories of engine malfunctions if that was not a trustworthy process, right? Unless they all actually just run off the same mm-hmm. thing, and you're just led to believe the Lambo needs something different. Fair point. I'm telling you. Fair point. I'm telling you right now. Like, now I, I'm wondering, what are other things that all kind of have that same method of disbursement? You know, like, are there other okay. things that well, are Yeah, the soda machines right, that Qdoba. The soda that machine was, pick, my, was my first one. That was the first thing I thought. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now here's the other thing, though. Why is it? I've always wondered this. This keeps me awake at night. And as you know, I'm an insomniac, right? <laughs> you because are. I probably have texted you at like 2 in the morning. Uh-huh. Quick question. But here's my question. So why is gas, I think it might be the only thing on earth that the price for it is not determined by what it costs to produce it, but what costs to replace it. Why is that not the case? Like you buy a cotton shirt, right? Okay. You buy a cotton shirt and, and it's like, well, it's 1999. Why is it 1999? Because it costs $6 to make it and we need a 1399 whatever, right? They don't, they don't prognosticate like some hurricane in, in Mississippi that might actually increase the price of cotton and say like, well, now actually that shirt's $38 because if you see the weather had, forecast. I actually had no idea that's how gas prices worked. But anyway, gas prices, I should pay more attention to that. You need both. You need both. But I, gas prices are always instantly impacted by, like all of a sudden you get an alert that's like gas is going up 35 cents because there's bad weather in the Gulf and so they can't get to some of the... Or da, it's da, da, just da, it's Memorial right? Day weekend and everyone's driving. That too. Yeah. It's all, it's, exactly. Yeah. Right? I mean, everybody's like, I can't believe gas prices are going up. I'm like, I can't. It's about to be warm out and people are going on vacation. <laughs> is that how hard. people should start setting their value then? It's like, this like is this. how much it would cost to replace well, you. I like you this. Know? I like this too. I like the people that are you like, you know, bargain. I wish we could go back to 2020 when gas was $1.80. I'm like, gas was $1.80 because none of us were allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> right? So if we all just want to sit at home for 90 days and do nothing but Zoom calls and whatever else, who wants to Don't do that again? Don't ever take me back there. Right. No. Keep, I mean, that's the point, keeping right? Keeping with the car analogy as I steer us back to the Colts for just a second. <laughs> How much did Shane... I think we've gotten completely <laughs> I know, off the yeah, but that's, I, I, I appreciate that's, what I do. That's, back, a, that's a Tuesday. Yeah. That doesn't, we're, yeah. we're fine. How much did last season, if you're looking at it from a glass half pull perspective, and Lara Overton of Colts.com is our guest, Colts Radio Network. How much did the injury of Anthony Richardson last season and taking away a key, lep, key weapon like that allow Shane Steichen to show his coaching prowess, to show why, whether it's schematically, whether it's by design, that he is indeed the guy for this job. I think what it showed you most is, yes, that, but it also was just, this is how unflappable this guy is, and how no matter what happens over the course of an NFL season, he can handle all of those curveballs that you're thrown as a head coach, and did it so fluidly in his very first season of doing that. That's one of the things I think was most impressive about it is because, you know, obviously he's just Shane went in and he's like, these are the guys that I have Here's the 11 guys that I have. And I'm going to make the most of week in and week out. And there was never, you know, you always hear Chris will say he didn't flinch, right? Didn't flinch, doesn't panic. He takes what he's given and makes it work. And I think that is one of the most impressive things he showed over the course of, you know, last season with 
everything that was coming at him, right? Jonathan Taylor's on IR, then Jonathan Taylor gets the extension, then, you know, it's Anthony's out, and then Grover Stewart's suspended. I mean, we could go through, we've rehashed all of these same storylines yeah. over and over, but Chris was completely, or sorry, Shane was completely even approached each week the same way, gave this team a chance to win week in and week out, whether it was, you know, what happened with Anthony, or whether it was something that happened on the defensive side of the ball, or it was, you know, the topsy-turvy, you know, the way that games played out, and, you know, things were just completely unpredictable, as they seem to always. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was able to show off at times, and this play was a microcosm of that, and I get it, people were mad, and I'm not trying to reignite the debate, but like whether people like it or not, the fourth and one where Tyler Goodson drops the ball, mm-hmm. that's a modern-day NFL play call. Yeah. That's a play Kansas City, Miami, like teams that it was have that lifestyle. Like if, yeah. like that, that's what you call in that situation mm-hmm. in the modern NFL on fourth and one. And like that's just a microcosm of his play calling ability where it's like he did that with, to your point, that roster, mm-hmm. and assuming that Richardson's healthy this year. It wasn't his fault the another, execution correct, was off, right. It, that there's enough that pops on tape where it's like, man, imagine when there's real weapons here, mm-hmm. what this offense is going to do. Right, I'm thinking about the like the Pittsburgh game, mm-hmm. right? When Pittman gets hurt and you have DJ Montgomery and you know all of these guys who were jumping in at that point. Goodson had a great game yeah. you know, in, in that as well. You had all sorts of guys who were stepping up at that period of time and you made it work and you got a win and, and all of those things. Yes, I think you could point to a number of those things. I mean, even with Richardson, when you had him, look at the Rams game. Oh, man. And what you were able to do in the second half of that game to force overtime against Matthew Stafford and an eventual playoff-bound L.A. team. So there are a lot of those situations that, that I think you can point to. And, yeah, I think that you solidified that this franchise is not only headed in the right direction, but it's in the right hands to guide it there. Lara, we have seen with the Colts in the past Mm -hmm. the ability to build a defense based upon what you knew they were going to have to be up against because the offense was going to score a lot of points in other words and we talked to bill polian about this when dwight freeney got selected to the hall of fame they knew that that pass rush would be good for them because teams would be likely trailing Mm -hmm. early because peyton manning would get quick points so teams were going to have to throw right Do you feel like or get a read with this particular installment of the way the team is being built that they are going to front load offense to then make it easier to figure out what they need defensively or are they going to balance the building of the two and try to have it more 50-50? That's interesting. I think that you aim for more balance than what that is. I think that the way that the league has gone, it has kind of gone that way. Well, we saw it with you Kansas know, City, right? You, I mean, this you, year, defense was as you much... You saw it with right. Kansas City. I do think that in the, in the era that you are right now, and this is where we sit you know, March 1 of 24, and it could in 12 months swing a different way or in 24 months. And that's one thing that in talking with Gus Bradley about uh, last offseason, he was talking about that defensively, you're trying to evolve basically one year ahead of where offenses are evolving mm-hmm. to. You're trying to put yourself ahead of where they are and anticipate where they are going. So I think with that, it probably will be more balanced, especially with the way that Chris Ballard has built teams with, he builds from the trenches, builds from the line, really reinforces that group with all of that. Um, I do, I do think that it is probably going to be more even from that standpoint because 
you know, those offenses that you had during that era were so very unique, right? And we have seen that defenses just don't, it, it's so different with the way, you know, like you mentioned, like Kansas City, with the way that the teams who have been successful, the way that they are built, I think indicates more balance between those two position groups, I think. Lara, what do you think it will mean for this town? Lara Overton is our guest, of course, with the Colts. What do you think it will mean for this city and, quite frankly, for for young girls and women of sports in this city, of which you work in that arena as a female, to have Caitlin Clark coming to Indianapolis? Oh, I mean, the attention, the excitement in general that she has built across, and not just college basketball, but just, you know, women in basketball, she has created, you know, such a, a platform for, I think it will, and, you know, we've been really spoiled, too, by the success that the Fever had with all the, I mean, with Tamika and what she has done, right? Like, I think that we have had opportunities, maybe sooner than a lot of fan bases to admire. I think about, you know, Katie Douglas and her career and what she did. Right. And, you know, just there have been a number of them, um, you know, already in this organization. And I think that's part of what makes it such a great fit. Not even, you know, that they have the first overall pick and the opportunity to get her. But I feel like that there is somewhat of a, you know, organic seems to be overused. But it is an organization that will be built well to support her and a fan base that will embrace her. I think anyone would. But it's especially with what it means here. But yeah, I think about, you know, the fact that there are young girls, you know, I and not to equate, but think about how much of a storyline it was for the Super Bowl. Dads and their daughters who are Taylor Swift fans. Well, Scott Long made the, the comparison earlier that she is the Taylor Swift of basketball. I can see that. I, mm-hmm. I think that, sure. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's an unprecedented level of energy for a female athlete, I think it's transcendent mm-hmm. because Stephanie White was a great player. Yeah. Tamika Catchings was a great player. But when they came into the league, they appealed primarily to fans like of the Fever or yeah. maybe of Purdue. Caitlin Clark, I think, is the first that brings non-women's basketball fans that are interested. I mean, the TV numbers support it, right? Right. Well, and I think, too, that now it is, okay, these are young girls who a year ago were watching the NCAA tournament and watching her and following her and seeing these great battles, of course. And now, you know, they've been following it more and more. And then it's going to be, you know, hey, it's a Tuesday night. We want to go down to the field house and we want to do this. And because of not just TV, but because of the connectivity that kids have that you know so now you know they're watching highlights on twitter or it's on instagram it's in their feeds all the time it doesn't even have to just be uh, you know they're not sitting and maybe watching a regular season iowa game but they see the highlights and they see her break the scoring record and you know all those different things that have created just more and more touch points for people to be familiar with or be excited about her all of those things so yeah now you do have whether it's you know maybe it's you're pulling up a seat and you're watching you know the wnba draft just to watch Watch this happen, and then you're finding a game to go to or watching it on I mean, TV, it's whatever Steph it is. Steph Curry esque, though, like watching her play mm-hmm. is like holy cow. But uh, you know, I, I just think I'm going to make this prediction. I made it off the top of the show. They're going to sell out. I'm going to predict that the Indiana Fever are going to sell out their allotment of season tickets. Now, am I crazy? Oh no, I don't think so. I don't think that's crazy because I, you know, I think too that there is. 
a draw and and you know really fever tickets are are very affordable you know in the platform gone up. Well, but I mean, across, they know what doing, right? but mm. if you're going to buy if you're going to buy tickets to a professional sporting event speaking correct right correct. that's one of the more accessible things that you do and you know hey maybe you know you live in new albany indiana where i grew up and it's still worth it to buy a, a buy season tickets and you're going to split them with another family or you're going to do maybe whatever it is because you're within driving distance to be able to go hey two hours to go watch this show put on display it's worth it for us so it's not just you know central indiana that has that appeal you have that entire reach you know across the state of uh of what it is and what it will be with her and, and the excitement that there is behind it. Um, I was just thinking of something when you were talking about, you know, Steph Curry-esque, but yeah, and I've lost I know what you were thinking about. What you were thinking about is if you're in New Albany or you're in Iowa and yeah. you're driving to come see Caitlin Clark and you stop at the gas station, <laughs> yes, if, who's yeah. getting in the middle? Here's right? the other thing. Oh, here's what I was going to say, too. I look at how many of our players, how many Colts players have shown up on – the sidelines of fever games prior to, you know, right, just going right. because they have already, even prior to this, they have young daughters that they want to expose to. I think about how many games Shaq Leonard showed up to. Kenny Moore has been a staple. Zaire Franklin has gone to games before. So what I'm excited for, too, is all of this crossover with the Colts being in this position with, you know, a, a young, exciting quarterback, the direction they're headed, obviously the Pacers and what they are doing right now and the excitement surrounding Tyrese Halliburton. And then you add, you know, in addition to Aaliyah Boston, now you have Caitlin Clark. So just kind of all of all of these organizations and, yeah. and what the time this is for Indiana and Indianapolis sports in general and for all of those organizations, all of those athletes to support one another. Uh, the next, finally, Lara, the next, I guess, benchmark in the calendar of this process for the mm-hmm. Colts is going to be what? The, the I mean, obviously free you've agency. got. Yeah. Well, the start and of free the, agency. And, and the tag as well, right? Right. So yeah. we, we'll find out when, if uh, the free agency begins when? The free agency period. March 15th, I want to okay. March is, am I? You're right. It's like, it's the 15th it's, or 14th. Yeah. It's right yeah. there. I always, I, I a little bit for, I, I don't want to say I forget, but I, it's always a little loose because um, what we what the past has told us is that typically Chris is not going to be hyper aggressive in those first few days. They usually let that initial wave get through of kind of signing the, the free agents across the league. And then, you know, the Colts will start to make their own moves with the priority being on re-signing your own of those to be determined. Uh, there are a lot out right. there. In addition to Michael Pittman, Kenny Moore the second, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, don't Zach Moss. For, don't forget my man Rigoberto. Rigo, Come on now. absolutely. That's Can right. never forget Rigo. Lara, appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend, all right? Thank I know you're you gonna be so out here much. a lot. Uh, yeah. we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll kind of put a, a bow tie or a tie. Just a bow tie or a tie? Just a Which bow. <laughs> Just a bow on it? Yeah, that's all. I always forget that. Anyway, it's the Combine, and we are here on a Friday, 93.5-1075 the fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, another blend of college basketball and the NBA. We'll start first with college hoops. Lay the six and a half on App State as they host Arkansas Should we see if Lara's got something tonight? she wants to wager on here? Are you have any bets tonight, Lara, in college hoops? Anything? Are you a degenerate, Lara? No, no, she's not. Just no, out she, of curiosity? She, she, when, you're, when you're sitting there awake at night thinking about my gas... You know, problem, and I don't mean it that way. You know what I'm saying about my my predicament about 
understanding the, the realities of gas that you purchase at the gas station. Uh, you can turn in the Long Beach State Fresno State game and know that Jimmy's laying six and a half for scooping something on it, right? We, we forgot Might about Might as well how make sen- your insomnia we, we, interesting. We forgot about how sensitive that word is around NBA teams, They've been, or NFL teams. They've been raising their eyebrows every time and giving out bets. App State minus six and a half. Take Loyola Chicago on the money line against Dayton tonight. In the NBA, scoop the five on the Indiana Pacers on the road tonight against New Orleans Pelicans. Round things out. Take Golden State on the money line against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. Those are your plays of the day. Uh, we are back at it on Monday, right? We are. Jimmy, you got big plans for the weekend? No. Watch some college hoops. Just uh, live in life. Uh, we'll give one shout-out real quick. Shout-out to the Ron Cowley Royals. They are in a sectional semifinal tonight, 630 at Southport Fieldhouse. Beautiful gymnasium. I'll be on the call for that one on RonCowleyMediaNetwork.com. Royals look to punch a ticket to the sectional final, Jake. So uh, Jake, you covering plans. racing, you should know that if you want more engine performance, you put higher octane into your engine. And uh, Listen, I, I get it. But they don't run gasoline anymore. Okay, I'm talking about gasoline. They don't run gasoline in IndyCar, right? I'm just saying. I think it. I think it's all the same stuff. That would be. A, that's a tinfoil hat territory, Jake. <laughs> it is. We didn't even play the music for it. No, we didn't. Uh, thanks to everybody that was putting together the last three days worth of shows here out at the NFL Combine. John is up with you next. We are back with you Monday at noon. And Eddie Garrison, who had to juggle all of it, including Great work, when the internet went down today and missed our scintillating in the confessions where Jimmy laughed and cried for three and a half <laughs> minutes and we just re-racked Best an old radio interview. Ever. Eddie was Marconi on right there. All over. Uh, John's up next. Everybody have a great weekend and we will talk to you at noon on Monday. You have been listening to Quarry Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.